and welcome to Geek Salad. I'm Andy. And I'm Mike. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. I'm Todd. So we've got Adam. Heyo. And we got Jim. What up, yo? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Dante Hicks is just like you. He loves grape soda. I had actually heard rumors that they actually put a delegation of, like, aliens, which would be incredibly Dude. stupid. Would predators have... in there, too? Well, yeah. considering that, A, they're a matriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> that would have made the best movie ever, though. That would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, Closed-door <laughs> session of the Galactic Senate. <laughs> ah! Get off! Get off! Next thing you know, they're all in there. All the sudden, face huggers are there, you know. So I go to bed and have this nightmare where Grover is the one <laughs> wiggling around the tank and little baby Grovers get put in their ears. <laughs> you have reached the end of Pornhub. KKK, that's not good. Stupid, stupid! Welcome back to the Toddcast. Okay. On behalf of everybody here at Geek Salad, thank you for getting us to 200 episodes. You all are truly our favorite things. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. All right, prank ideas. Let's hear them. I really want to get Emily and Murph this year. That's great, because we got a bunch of ideas from some of the craziest pranksters we could think of. Characters from 80s comedies. Oh, that's perfect. Those movies were filled with wacky hijinks. Okay, our first idea, we break into their house, we steal all their underwear, and then install cameras so we can watch them naked. <laughs> like in Revenge of the Nerds. That's great. Uh, you know, I think that's technically a sex crime. No, Pat, it's a wacky, lighthearted prank. Uh, what else do you have? Offensive stereotypes to Geek Salad episode 200. Yes. A million deaths are not enough for you, eh? I'm Andy. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. I'm Todd. And tonight, for this momentous 200th episode, I have not one, but two very special guests joining me. Uh, first, from the Black Girls Do Stuff 2 podcast. Let's welcome the lovely and talented uh, Miss N- N- yeah, Miss Nick Manning. Hey. Yes. Nick, tell us a little bit about your show. Yes, Black Girls Do Stuff 2. It's a podcast that really talks about 
everything pop culture from the black girl perspective. And right now we're covering Lovecraft Country mostly and giving recommendations. It's a fun time. And um, I love Chris Evans, so I talk about him a lot on Twitter. Chris Evans, come on. <laughs> that's Ameri- Joe, that's America's ass. That's right. <laughs> He's also He also grew up next door to us. That's He's true. true. That's I'm true. Sure. We're, yeah, we're all from Massachusetts. We're all from the same area of Massachusetts that he's from. I actually I am within six degrees of separation from Chris Evans. Huh. Yeah. Good to know. So, yeah. Hey, hey. If you ever, if you ever need a hookup, uh, which we, we, we cannot possibly offer you. Um, and then up next is uh, Thomas Green from the Movies After Work podcast. Hey, guys. Congratulations. Ooh. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Tell not, us con- little... not congratulations on having me on the show. Congratulations on your 200th episode. <laughs> congratulations for being here, Tom. Yes. You've made it. You've won the lottery of life. Now tell us about your show. Uh, Movies After Work is just uh, myself and my good friend Alex Duez. Uh, we turned our 1 a.m. talks at Denny's into a podcast where we talk about different movies and uh, the ones we like and sometimes the ones we really don't like. <laughs> uh, yes, your your Joker episode was quite biting. <laughs> we yeah we we did not hold back on that in one. a good way, <laughs> in a good way. And Nick, I got to tell you right now that I am I, I I'm holding off like I have to find the right moment to watch Lovecraft Country and then binge binge yeah. the show and then I'm binging all the episodes where y'all talk about it because I see that I'm like oh come on stop talking about this. I know, I know. This is listen. It's so good. You have to watch it, and then let me know what you think. So, if if Nick or Tom sounds familiar, that is because they have guested several times on our YouTube channel, helping us review movies. Um, so you've definitely you, you you've seen the talent, and now you get to experience on the audio podcast as well. So. Yeah. Oh, we thought long and hard about what our 200th episode was going to be. And I think we, we couldn't be – I think uh, – what's the word I'm trying to say here? I'm going to say that we have aged like fine wine in 200 episodes. However, there are certain things in our past that have aged like vinegar. Um, and by the oh, way, vinegar. just as, okay. a full, <laughs> as a full disclaimer – we are reasonably sober tonight, so I think I just yes. sobered up. So Catherine, me, and Joe are upright, and yes. um, I would like to offer a full apology to anybody who just like listened to the episode and was just like, "Is is, is this it?" The answer is yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh my! Oh God! It was. It was a. It was a very crazy episode. Yes, yes, it was. I think the word you're looking for is shit show. Yeah, yeah. I will say, though, that the other day, um, Autumn and I were at Lowe's uh, buying some stuff, and I saw on Twitter that um, Jamal Gaze in the Life is, like, now listening to Geek Salad. I'm like, I'm just going to apologize straight up for whatever you hear. He's like, I am loving this. And I'm like, yeah, I was very drunk. And he was... (laughs) He, he was he was throwing in a lot of nice compliments. So, Jamal, thank you. Um, but tonight we are going to talk about things that have not aged well due to um, just special effects and movie production, not catching up with them, um, just kind of the nostalgia's worn off. Or in almost everybody's case here, 
so social norms have changed and social attitudes have changed a lot in 30 plus years of, of movie and television watching. So yeah, with, that's, that's really a kind way of putting it, Andy. Yeah. 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 So with that said, unfortunately, um, because there's a five, five hour gap in between our time thing, and M couldn't be professional enough to join us at 1.30, Greenwich Mean Time. Um, Seriously? I know, huh? Get your head in the game, M. Um, you you should have tricked her and told her Keanu Reeves was coming. Then, I could have. <laughs> yeah, we, we done it right there. We're, just, we're talking about Buffy all night, M. <laughs> yeah. Talk about Buffy. We've got Keanu. I mean, I mean we can all only do the uh, whoa. What's that? We've got Keanu talking about Buffy. <laughs> I'd be like kidnap catnip to her. And then there was this episode where Buffy staked this vampire and he turned to dust. Whoa. And I was all like, whoa. Um, so anyway, a few weeks ago, uh, I had a, a lovely conversation with Em about her pick for something that is aged horribly. And I will let her take that. So... Recorded from a previous uh, episode, if you will. M from Verbal Diorama. Excellent! And I am here now with one of Geek Salad's all-time favorite contributors. Uh, She has been an amazing help uh, in the last year. And also, just within these last hundred episodes, she's, she's... contributed on so many of them and i'm so happy to be talking to her right now it's m from verbal diorama hello love hey how how are you Uh, i am really really good and i'm so i'm so happy to be here okay first of all let me just say a i am very happy to be here um especially because it's your 200th episode so proud of you guys genuinely you are just the most wonderful people in the entire world and i love you all um but also i am a little bit sad and let me explain why i'm sad uh <laughs> i'm sad because i can't be with you guys live <laughs> um and i want to be with you guys live more than anything in the world but unfortunately i can't be so uh so yeah it's kind of it's a very happy occasion but tinge of a little bit of sadness oh well, but and that's why that's why i'm talking to you today um you know yeah. it's just you know what it's like it takes a it's an act of parliament uh because i'm going to use the uh british uh, colloquialisms here. It's an act of, of parliament to get you to join us on live episodes <laughs> yeah. based on a yeah. five-hour time difference. But we have had you on in the past. You were you joined us on our movies of 1990 uh, oh, two-parter. Definitely. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely have you back again. But today, oh, I pretty well hope so as well. well. You know, it was it was it was a wonderful time, and you know, we want to make sure that we 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 find just the right episode for you. <laughs> But today, I want to I want to know what um what was something you grew up loving that has now not stood the test of time? Oh, my God. Um, to be honest, uh, obviously, because I'm not recording live with you guys, I don't know if anyone is going to bring this up or has brought this up in the episode so far. Do not um, worry, because even if they I'm going to let them know ahead of time. OK, cool. Um. But I actually watched this movie again quite recently because it's one of these movies that tends to always be repeated on TV quite a lot over here in the UK. Um, it's 
um, it's a comedy, uh, and it's one of those comedies that at the time was literally everyone was talking about it. Everyone was doing the impressions. Everyone was kind of copying the main actor because uh, it was essentially his kind of breakout role. Um, and so the movie that I kind of want to mention uh, that's incredibly problematic watching it now, and I can attest to that because I saw it only a few weeks ago, <laughs> Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Ladies and gentlemen, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Marino, has just brought some new evidence to my attention. Now, history has certainly shown that even the most intuitive criminal investigator can be wrong from time to time. But if I am mistaken, if the lieutenant is indeed a woman, as she claims to be, then my friend, she is suffering from the worst case of hemorrhoids I have ever seen! That's why Roger Pedactor is dead! He found Captain Winky! Yeah. Which yes, I indeed. loved as a kid. I was one of those kids that constantly quoted it. Um, you know, the whole alrighty then. Uh, yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Come to me, my jungle friends. You know, all of that. Uh, yeah. That was something that it was just it was just the movie. It was the big movie everyone talked about. And then I rewatched it. And initially, I started to feel very queasy. Um, and there's, there's several reasons, actually, not just the most obvious reason uh, why this is incredibly problematic, because there is a very, very obvious one. Um, but the things that kind of struck me, uh, oh, you seem you just want me to go ahead and talk about it, because that's what I'm go. doing. That, that's <laughs> what I want you to do. I want you okay. to do that. <laughs> okay cool i'm just gonna go ahead and do it you know just just wind me up and let me go so the first thing was obviously this was made um pre-blackfish uh and obviously anyone who's seen the documentary blackfish will know about um whales and dolphins in captivity uh and so the first thing that struck me was okay so First, OK, first uh, clarification. I know nothing about American football at all. Uh, so I'm literally talking about American football based on what I know in this movie. That is it. Um, so they have a mascot, obviously, uh, for their uh, American football team. And they're, they're, I believe they were the Miami Dolphins. Is that they correct? Are. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so obviously they have a dolphin. And this dolphin, uh, a lot of the time it's a puppet dolphin, but sometimes they, sh they actually have a real dolphin. Um, and the tank is very, very tiny uh, and it's not very deep. And not only that, poor Snowflake is has to do all of these tricks and is essentially, you know, coerced slash forced into doing tricks. And then Snowflake gets captured. Um, but we actually see Ace Ventura in the tank and it's tiny. It's a tiny tank. And it, that, the thing that really got me um, watching this movie again was I was so affected by Blackfish. And this is coming from someone who I've been to Florida. I've been to uh, SeaWorld um, in Florida. Uh, and I, I, I did enjoy it. And I'll admit that I did enjoy it kind of pre-Blackfish. After Blackfish, 
I've basically said I will never go anywhere like that ever again. I, I just do not want to. Uh, the welfare of these animals is just so much more important. Um, and so that's the first thing is snowflake in captivity being forced to do tricks in a tiny tank. I was like, no, 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 I'm not keen. Number two, because this I've got three. Number two. So in order to investigate, um, we have Ace Ventura, obviously played by Jim Carrey, and Melissa, uh, played by Courtney Cox, who was obviously, uh, I think she had started in Friends at that point. She, this if was she like, was doing anything in Friends, it was she filmed the pilot at that point. I don't know. Yeah, this is yeah. the year before Friends actually came out. Was it? Out she was, to, to me, she was, she, had, she was still the girl who, who was in the Dancing in the Dark video. Oh, okay. I couldn't remember if this had come out when she was in Friends, like she was already in being aired in Friends when this was. I can't remember. Um, obviously, we get movies after the US generally anyway, so it's hard right. like we would have got this like six months after the US. So um, right. and then, you know, watching it on video because it was mainly videos and stuff when I was growing up. Um, but anyway, so obviously I knew her as Monica in Friends. Um, and so they, they end up going to um, a sort of uh, hospital, uh, like a mental hospital. Um, actually, that's mm. probably not very politically correct for me to say that. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a better way to describe it, actually. Um, but a, a hospital for people with like mental illness kind of thing. Yes. Um, and to do so, to infiltrate this hospital... Ace Ventura has to pose as a mentally ill person. And the things that he does, uh, I mean, he's obviously wearing a tutu and a lot of it is very like physical comedy. And but it feels very kind of icky to essentially be in a, uh, a hospital for uh, people with mental health issues and for all of these, you know, uh, patients who are actually got mental health issues and then yeah. for a character like Ace Ventura to just be acting like a complete fool I was a little bit like this this doesn't this bit doesn't feel right to me either like but out of all of the three I think number three is probably the worst <laughs> uh because Ace Ventura pet detective is the most I think ragingly transphobic movie um that i could actually think of um and when you asked me uh what you know think 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 of a movie that you know you find incredibly problematic or that you used to love and now you think Ooh, it was literally the first thing that came to mind and it was because of the scene uh where we find out that um the lois einhorn is actually uh Ray Ray Finkel. Finkel. um and the way that ace ventura finds out is essentially by stripping a trans woman to her underwear Mm -hmm. uh, in a variety of very ridiculous kind of ways um and then when they actually do find out that she is a trans woman every man's reaction is awful they uh, all they all throw up, including I will yeah. add the dolphin. Yeah, literally everyone is like right. scraping their mouth, you know, being sick. Um, 
I think Ace Ventura has a scene where he's like um, squeezing toothpaste into his mouth. And yeah, when he when he finds out when he finds out about it, he burn he squeezes all the toothpaste into his mouth, burns all his clothes, and just like gives himself a shower cry. Yeah, while they're playing it's the awful. crying game. Yeah, I, and that genuinely—it's was... <laughs> so bad. It's—I—I I genuinely think that because I, when I first saw it when I was a kid, I didn't really kind of—I didn't really put it together. I guess um, yeah. it's only rewatching it now that I realised just how goddamn awful this movie is treating this character and. And I know that the character is obviously they're insinuating that the character has become a woman in order to escape prosecution, um, yeah. which kind of adds this additional because uh, there's a lot um, of discourse, I think, uh, around uh, people who don't understand um, trans people in the oh, well, they're only doing it because of X reason. You know, they're only doing it to. Yeah get attention or they're only doing it to be able to go to a different bathroom you know all of these ridiculous statements and this kind of um reinforces that in a really terrible way um that it's not that uh ray finkel was you know actually wanted to live life as a woman that he believed he was a woman and so became lois einhorn Right. It's for a nefarious reason. So the character was obviously doing it to be uh, deceptive, and it's just, it's just handled so badly. It's, it really, really uh, made me take a step back and think this is not a movie that I actually ever want to watch again. Like how I genuinely have no interest. I have no interest in covering it for my podcast at all, like yeah. ever. Um, I have no interest in watching it again. I'll appreciate that it was Jim Carrey's big break and all of that I'm pretty certain he I've not re- I've not read any interviews that he's done I'm pretty certain he would agree that it's not <laughs> it's not a particularly positive representation um, well nobody nobody is actually going out of their way to demand that there, there needs to be a third <clears throat> Ace Ventura movie yeah I mean and and I think that a lot of people have cottoned on to this movie, I know it's obviously it's never going to be seen as the greatest comedy ever made, um, but I kind of feel like a lot of people have cottoned on to how bad this movie actually is uh, and how problematic it is. Um, and I think that you can use the excuse of, oh, well, it was the 90s until you're blue in the face um, before you actually kind of can take a step back and go, no, this is wrong. You know, it does. You can't right. use the, this was the 90s excuse to have characters vomiting because you know they realize that the woman that they've all kissed uh used to be a man it's right it's it's just really really terribly bad um but it it is just one of those instances where i just feel like why was this funny right like no, I... like why 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 did everyone laugh and yeah it's I, I just I feel I genuinely feel very uncomfortable about it uh, and it was literally the first thing that popped into my mind there were some other things that popped into my mind uh, I'm interested. What, what, just were some of the other just you don't have to go into detail but were some of the other ones that you were thinking of 
Genuinely, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Only because, um, and I know when we originally both spoke about it, I said, oh, I've got a couple in mind. But because this one was just so, this one kind of took over everything. Um, I know you um, you mentioned, which one did you mention to me? Was it 16 Candles that you that's, mentioned to me? That's the one that I'm doing, yes. Yeah. See, I've not seen 16 Candles. So uh, oh, I, I have no... I have no intention to watch it genuinely because I've heard such terrible things that it's, it's just not aged well at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, if anyone is listening and they're thinking, oh, I might just go and watch Ace Ventura. Don't. Because it's, <laughs> it's gen- genuinely, like, it's not worth it. Uh, Jim Carrey has done better things, much, much better things than Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I, I genuinely think that if you want a better Jim Carrey movie of that era, The Mask or even Dumb and Dumber. Yes. The I mask say, you know, it, it's weird about Dumb and Dumber is that it is, you know, in terms of our, you know, our 2020 societal lens, way more. It just it passes that test way better than Ace Ventura does. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, then again, I haven't watched that movie in about 20 years, so I don't know. I could probably watch it tomorrow and go, oh, I was wrong. So thank you so much for, for help, helping us out today. I'm so happy you could be here for our 200th. And uh, you're gonna, we're going to put all of where you can listen to Verbal Diorama in our show notes, uh, just like with everybody else. And um, Em, where can they find you on the socials? On the socials. Well, uh, they can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, at verbal diorama so yeah if anyone ever wants to speak to me feel free i am more than happy to speak to anyone about anything uh, because as you'll have probably established uh, i talk a lot so <laughs> but oh. you know that's that's good if you've got a podcast right you know talking yeah. a lot is, is a good thing so it's just this unfiltered um, just conversation so yeah. well thank you so much em and thank you so much for having me and, and, and congratulations again on your 200th episode it's amazing excellent absolutely agree i tried watching that a few years ago and it was i couldn't do it i got five minutes into it and i was done <laughs> and i liked the movie when i saw it in theaters and i couldn't take it yeah i um thank you oh, by the way thank you very much Amber. yes for for uh for taking the time to, to to do that for us, but yeah, Ace Ventura is tough on a lot of levels. I mean, and no shame here if you still enjoy Ace Ventura. Is there anybody here that really like yes. still watches and gets some? Todd, was that you? I mean, no, it wasn't me, but I did watch no. it a few months ago on Netflix, okay. only to find out that it has been edited on Netflix, which really? is very interesting. Really, yeah, edited the whole. When he jumps out of the tank when Snowflake is missing, and he's doing that character, that very stereotypical uh, gay character, uh, yeah. it has been cut from the movie. Really? On Netflix, yeah. Hmm. And you can quote him, that one. Oh. It's gone. Really? It's gone. Which yeah. is interesting because I'm sure they left like the whole transphobic thing at the very end oh, with Mr. Weezy. They Weezie. definitely did. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, you. you <laughs> The whole transphobia, that's basically the central plot of the entire movie is the transphobia. So it's like, how do you get rid of that without destro- without totally destroying the movie? Yeah. I was shocked that that's what they cut out. I'm like, you could have you chosen 
anything else, but that they they cut it out on Netflix. It was yeah. You know, there's very there's just so much about that movie that again it it was a different time, but it is interesting, Todd, based on what you're telling me about net, what Netflix decided to cut. That we still have a long way to go as a, as, as a people and as a society. Mm-hmm. And it was a different time, but it wasn't that long ago. Well, yeah. You know, when you think about it, though, it's not really surprising that Netflix would, would actually edit it when you consider that uh, Warner Brothers or HBO Max decided to, like, give context to Gone to the Wind. Yeah. You know, they, they they're saying did. that, hey, this is, you know, you're getting disclaimers now in front of movies saying, hey, this was a different time. There's going to be some some not PC stuff going on here right now that, you know, you got to understand that it was a different time. So Netflix, you know, editing Ace Ventura is really not that surprising. Now, like Todd said, the one thing that they edit is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You could have gone a little bit more, you know, a little further, but okay. This, this is what you have a problem with? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And the and the whole... Oh. characters that are... Uh, Started out, you know, are cis females playing trans females? That's not great. Yeah. That still happens in 2020. <laughs> that's never going to stop happening. Um, unfortunately, I just don't. I don't see that ever changing. At least not in our lifetimes. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's to to me because I kept thinking once I knew this was going to be on here, I kept thinking about it and just it. The the funny thing is, it kept making me think about the Naked Gun thirty three and a third. Oh, because both movies pull it's you know it's uh, the crying game. They're both just doing the crying game, right? Uh, but Naked Gun, it it works. It doesn't feel it's it's not ooh transphobic. It's Oh look, we're parody we're parodying the crying game with the last person you would expect at a completely random moment that's almost ridiculous that we're worrying about doing it right now. Yeah. Like it's more a parody of the movie and not a commentary on transgender people. Whereas, yeah, with Ace Ventura, because of how they handle it, it's feels more like commentary than parody. Yeah. And the, the thing is also is that like stuff, stuff like the, like the naked gun can do parody without having to shout. This is parody. Yeah. Whereas they actually mm-hmm. play the, the song, the crying game well, like, in it, Ace Ventura. So just so you get it, just so you get yeah. the joke. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a reflection of the, the, the creators of, you know, each of the movies. I mean, when you think about, Naked Gun, you know, that's the Abrams brothers who've been doing th- those type of movies for years and years. It's actually Zucker Brothers. Oh, I'm sorry, the Zucker Brothers. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah you're right. Zucker Brothers, duh. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking Abrams. But anyways, but you know, it's it's that's the that's the type of humor that they've kind of trafficked in for decades when Naked Gun came out. Whereas Ace Ventura, you know, Jim Carrey was the hot new thing, edgy new comic kind of thing, pushing, you know, pushing boundaries and shit. It was a reflection of the 90s where, you know, comedy was really trying to go in a non-PC direction. Yeah. yeah. And Jim Carrey's not known for his subtlety. Right, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. You gotta beat people over the head. 
You've seen his Joe Biden, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like the only thing he's getting right on that is the voice. (laughs) Is that one of the cases, uh, East Ventura, is that one of the cases where the sequel is actually better than the first one? I oh, think yeah, so. the sequel, the, the, the white savior goes to Africa. It's weird because I, I don't know. You bring up a really good point, Mike. I don't know if it, in terms of production, it is, it's a better movie. They, uh, they had more money to work with. Jim Carrey was a bona fide star at this point. Ace Ventura is his breakthrough. The first one. And then when nature calls, cause you know, I have to pee. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, the, the jokes. There are certain jokes which work better. The I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like I was watching a caricature with uh, Simon Callow's character as just the, the snooty British game, big game hunter. I feel like that's just Simon Callow in in general, though. <laughs> unless he's unless he's playing. Is it Charles Dickens is the one that he always plays all the time, including on Doctor Who? Yes. Unless he's doing that character, he's always kind of a caricature. Hmm. Um, But I feel, I honestly feel like When Nature Calls is, it's halfway there to actually, as, as it was mentioned, being sort of a mockery of white savior stuff, because he's terrible at it. You know, he's he's getting speared, he's getting the crap beat out of him, and then at the very end, we find out he deflowered the princess, being yeah. <laughs> a complete stereotypical white guy going into another country sort of thing. It's, yeah. there's They're halfway to parodying something that they hadn't realized would become a painful cliche with movies. Whereas with the first movie, they're just a painful mockery of something. I don't know. I think people knew that stuff was a painful cliche long before that movie came out because my mother was telling me about like all those scenes in in movies. Like, you know, it probably wasn't in King Kong, but you know, you have the, the film overseas, the native people and they run around and just yell something in their native language. And when the movie actually airs there, it's, what they're saying is, can you believe how much they're paying for us to be in this dumb movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're segueing. Uh, does anybody else, have, by the way, have any other thoughts on Ace Ventura before we move on to our other absentee uh, participant for the evening? Nah. I, I will take That's some no. silence as a no. <laughs> but All righty, then. <laughs> speaking of um touche sir touche speaking of parents bringing up movies that uh, uh inconsistencies of movies that will get you kicked out um jim who was unable to uh make it wanted to talk about uh the patriotic jingoism of the mid 80s movies Uh, case in point, when we went to go see Rocky Four with my mother, and when the Russians turn on Draco and start shouting, Rocky, Rocky, my mother stood up and said, I cannot believe this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Draco, it's Drago. 
Drago, sorry. Even but Drago. Just that, just that whole thing that hasn't aged well about how, you know, and we are, we are all patriots here, but at the same time, we also understand the limitations of where that will take you. And when you look at movies like Red Dawn, which if I had to trust the freedom of the United States um, in the hands of my yeah. uh, if I had to trust the, the freedom of the United States in the hands of my high school football team, <laughs> pour me a glass of vodka, and get me a bowl of borscht because we would be fucked. What you don't trust? You don't trust Chris Coyne with the M16? Oh my God! I don't trust any of those meatheads to even handle their own meat, let alone uh, <laughs> a gun. Jesus. Yes, but what if your classmates were Jennifer Grey and um, and Patrick Swayze? Hmm? Well, the problem was is that like me, Joe, and Catherine were the the, the Jennifer Greys in this situation. We had no Patrick Swayze's in our school. <laughs> yeah, go, the drama I, go, club will save us. I I, I know from for my school. If I had to trust the the high school football team with doing doing this, I literally would have just started spray painting Crimea two all over yeah. everything and just admitting <laughs> defeat uh, in, in a heartbeat. I, I can think of one person in my class who was actually on the football team who could have handled it, but there was just the one. Everybody else that was on the football team, no. And so that means the football team can't handle it. Yeah. And that guy, that guy, Dale, he would have absolutely gone and gotten other people from, like, the, the you know, the people from the baseball team that also did theater. And were also, <laughs> were also mathletes. He would have been like, okay, forget the football team. They can't handle this. Let's get the smart people <laughs> with hand-eye coordination and get them going. <laughs> Is it bad that I really only know the 2012 version of Red Dawn? <laughs> um, Either it, one it is really worth it. It depends right. on where you're where you're coming from, Nick. Uh, and it's primarily because uh, I I can say this to about a few of you here. You are young. Um, <laughs> the mid '80s, when some of you were born, uh, was a very different time for us. So it, it really uh-huh. could just be you, you didn't miss much. Yeah, Joe, I'm talking about myself more than anybody else here. So. <laughs> um. I don't really think that you're missing out on anything. I still would have loved to have seen that Red Dawn that they were kicking around with uh, with Michael Sarah and uh, Jonah Hill before they got old. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been our high school football team. <laughs> so, that, that, that wouldn't have even been the high school football team. That's literally That's literally the high school football team got killed, so someone went and got the tennis team. <laughs> well, we, who else do we have? We have the mathletes. The AV club. <laughs> the AV club. Yep. Let's get the let's get the chess team on this. You know. Oh boy, yeah. Maybe, well, hey, maybe if 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 maybe they took a break from chess to play some Risk, they'll be you know they'll be <laughs> ideal. I think the best kids would have been the theater kids because we would have kept our cool. It's all a performance. All the world is the stage. You you don't get the theater kids. You get the the theater kids are a distraction. You get the stage crew kids who know how to stay (laughs) hidden so nobody knows they're there. And then they just stealth attack everyone like Mel, you're solid. (laughs) Not, not only not only can they stay hidden, they can also build shit, you know? We had a rotating stage on the We did Kismet. 
I, I can't have a shoot lead, a gun. I, I have a lead pipe, a piece of cloth, and five feet of rope. I think I can make a tank out of this, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, how about you MacGyver the shit out of this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I can't shoot a gun, but I can play the entire first level of Prince of Persia. Thank you very much. <laughs> Meanwhile, the drama queens like myself are just going to be like, avenge me! Avenge me! Avenge me! Uh, no, no, emphasize the me, not the avenge. The, avenge me! There you go. The theater kids would be getting picked off one by one as each one tried to go undercover, convinced that their Russian accent was super convincing. <laughs> well, we actually took Russian, so... Oh my Pleased God. to meet. <laughs> as, they get, as they get more and more dramatic. <laughs> guys, oh, guys, my dad made me watch the Rocky movies. I, I've watched them a bunch. I'm pretty sure I can do a Russian accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, like, American uh, patriotic action stars of this era, why were most of them from uh, Western Europe? <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever weird country Schwarzenegger, uh, Stallone came from, <laughs> that is not an American accent. Uh, I think that's cut from the country of Novocaine. Whatever, it's just a thing with a movie put in her face. And then, uh, <laughs> Paul, Paulie's got to have sex with a robot. <laughs> also in Rocky Four, our, yes. one of our local sports radio um, places, I think it's a Joe, might have been Toucher and Rich, where one, one of the one of the guys was just saying that it's his go-to movie. If it's on TV, he has to stop and watch it because it's the greatest Rocky movie ever. I'm like, no, that's three. Oh no, I, no, I we've had this discussion before, and I, and I and I still maintain four. Four is the best. Uh, I don't know. Just watch it. Watch Mr. T get so creepily into Adrian's business. That is just that's magic. Thank you, Mr. T, and all the all the foods that you fought. Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, thank you very much. Oh yes, yeah. That's Thunderlips. That's, that's Thunderlips to you, Mike. Come on. <laughs> he can make no. people dookie. <laughs> oh god suburban commando was so long ago uh, hey, hey that was no hold bars oh yeah right uh, it was god damn it uh, <laughs> yeah we did we did that movie on on our show and i know wow was, oh yeah <laughs> kurt fuller we love you too much to let you do things <laughs> like that to yourself so, commando had christopher lloyd so what we're gonna do is um everybody has one pick now i just want to point this out here that we are really gonna go deep in the weeds on some of these and i'm i'm looking forward to everyone who just kind of gave me just a title i can't wait to hear what you all have so i've got everybody's name on the wheel of morality here so we're just gonna randomly pick who gets to go first so get your Get your picks ready, and uh, the first person to go, Wheel of Morality, turn, 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 teach us the lesson that we should learn. <laughs> All right, Thomas, <laughs> tell us, what are we going to, what are we going to dissect today? What has aged terribly for you? We are going to dissect 
the Harry Potter series. That's Ramilda Vane. Apparently she's trying to smuggle you a love potion. Really? Hey, she's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. Okay, sorry. Um... <laughs> Excellent. Which is rather depressing considering everything that's going on with J.K. Rowling. And that's the that's that's the depressing thing is I can't even say it's aged terribly because we found out that she's kind of not a great person. It's not even that. It's, it, for me, it's one of those things where I, as I read more books, I started to realize how badly written these ones were. And as I went further through high school it made me realize just how uneducated the characters are. <laughs> um, well, that's ha- so what the, happens to learn magic and not, you know, math. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an entire, it's an entire world where slavery is okay. Classism okay, is okay. Being not necessarily illiterate, but uneducated is okay being racist is okay all of these things are okay as long as you don't say them out loud you can (laughs) act on them but don't verbalize them that's the thing um and uh, yeah all all of you've got all of that stuff that exists in this world which is is terrible um with the way that jk rowling views the weasley family and her opinion during um the the Scottish independence movement in I think it was 2015 or 2014. Uh, it was at that point that I realized, oh, they were supposed to be Scottish. But again, show it, don't say it. Okay. Um, but it was also one of those things for me where I, you know, I read the books as they came out and I, yep. I enjoyed them to the point where I took the fourth book to Bible camp. Anyone who's been to Bible camp knows that was a terrible life choice. I only did vacation Bible camp, you know, the week long in the churchyard, you know, day camp thing. Oh, I, oh, I did the you pack a bag, your parents dump you there and hope you're stolen one piece a week yeah. later thing. So you, know, you, know, you know what, Thomas? Uh, 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 Andy, Catherine, and I uh, grew up in the '80s during the Satanic Panic of D and you know where where oh yeah where playing D and D was equated to being a Satanist. But we understand. Well, I still I still remember when like the second book came out. I think it was my my aunt saying she would ne- never let her kids read it because she heard about you know she didn't want her kids believing that stuff was real. And I looked her dead in the eyes and said, "Look." if your kid really thinks that they're going to go out into the woods and find a unicorn to pluck the hair of, to make a wand, you've got a bigger, <laughs> you've got a bigger failing issue than what you're thinking of. Um, it's on you, auntie. Yeah. But the, the biggest thing that is aged badly. And I like, I reread these books when I was in my twenties just to make sure. But when I got to the fifth book, I got to when Harry has his temper tantrum, because th- that's all it is. His temper tantrum at the end of the book where he destroys Dumbledore's office. Mm-hmm. And I just suddenly, reading that moment, in my brain I just went, oh my god, 
this is the first time in five books we've had anything resembling character development for any of these characters. And I closed the book and didn't touch them again until my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) See, my friends were super into them. Of course, I was I was older and I. I actually went and I, I, you know, went for this book seven and I went to the midnight release party, which was pretty cool. And, and, you know, people in costume and everything winding through the book, you know, lining up, winding through to buy everything. Mm -hmm. And I read it in one weekend so I wouldn't get spoiled. And I was so mad at how she wrapped it up and I'm still mad about it. (laughs) I I still love that with Harry Potter started the trend that continued on with young adult books of here's the most boring character. Now they have that way they could go where all the interesting stuff is happening. And they have this way they could go where they could continue to whine about their, about their lives. Guess which way they're going to (laughs) go. And it's just that that trend has lived on. In, in it's, I mean, that's all the Hunger Games is. The Hunger Games is literally, bet you want to know what's going on everywhere else. Too bad. You have to listen to Katniss choose between two guys. <laughs> okay, to be fair, to be fair, Katniss is not, you know, she mostly doesn't want to choose anybody. She, you know, her care is about her mother and her sister. She spends three books not caring who to choose then. <laughs> exactly. Yup. The guys, the guys are falling over themselves trying to be picked by her, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to see how Prim's doing. I got to keep my sister alive because she's the good one. I'm a terrible person." the book going, "I'm a terrible person. I'm not really great." And the guys are like, "Do you see why we fall all over her?" And I'm like, "No, but you be you guys. You be you. You do you. Yeah. I know Joe will." agree with me right when I say if you want to see this kind of story done right read My Hero Academia also on our YouTube channel yes <laughs> <laughs> well and for me like if I had to recommend a young adult to someone because uh, you had you know mentioned that you had done the wait in line for the final book if I'm going to recommend a young adult it's going to be for the only book I've ever um, waited outside the doors for a Borders to unlock so I could go grab a copy of the book. And that's Lemony Snicket, a series of unfortunate events. Ooh. You know, it's funny you bring that up because as I was winding around in line, <laughs> I picked up the first book of Lemony Snicket cause, and started reading it and bought that also at the on the register on the way out and read all of those, too. I... Yeah, I bought the the thirteenth book the the day it came out. I waited outside Borders for it to open, and then sat in the cafe for two hours reading it before my shift at the Regal Theater. Nice, nice. Yeah, I really I really like those books. The one book that we just discovered a new book series um, that we're reading to my son called The Land of Stories, and it's written by Chris Colfer, who was on um, Glee. Yeah, and he's actually quite a good author. That's what I've Um, heard. The beauty of these books, first of all, and it really helps avoid all the, the catnip, um, you know, will she with he or will she with he uh, drama is the fact that it's it's twin 12-year-old kids. So, like, they take the romance angle completely out, um, but they do a lot of, like, the kind of like the metatextual uh, fairy tale stuff. It, it kind of plays, like, 
almost like Harley Quinn, the animated series in mm-hmm. the fairy tale world without, you know, getting into all of the uh, the violence and and stuff. But uh, using <laughs> Humpty Dumpty to make breakfast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do we do with slutty Casper? Um, <laughs> but it's it's a fantastic it's a really good book. And like I'm reading it to him. And usually when I read stories to him, he's just kind of like, eh whatever he's kicking his feet he's just like it's a thing that we do but he is like i i'll read a story where something interesting is happening he's on the edge of his seat while i'm reading it so this is the kind of thing that i would like to see more of and i know there are multiple books in the series there's also a series of books by neil patrick harris that are also like um you know american harry potter or whatever that are supposed to be really good books all righty so if you Wait. Yes, I can see that. He was he was great in uh, when they did the uh, series of unfortunate events on Netflix. Yeah, yeah I, I, the, I only watched the first season. I need to finish it. I gotta get better at watching that show. I think I've only watched two episodes, but I loved both of um, them. It was great. It was so great, and I loved the way they they wound it up. Yeah, but I think a big I, a big thing for me is just young adult stuff, both uh, TV, movies, books, the works, made a weird shift at some point, probably in the early aughts, because uh, like. The big example I always use is you have from art, you know, from from childhood, you get movies like Home Alone, where your main character kid is a terrible human being and has to learn that they're a terrible human being before they can, you know, do what they need to do to win and save the day and all that. Then you fast forward to movies like Paranorman, where (laughs) he's totally okay, He's awesome. He's special. And he can't save the day until everyone else around him realizes that he's right and he's the best and he is special and starts acting more like him. Then he can save the day. And that's kind of where this young adult stuff lives now. And it's exhausting. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Todd, Nick, uh, you guys have any thoughts on, on any of the stuff that we just discussed? Yeah, I mean, I I was into Harry Potter only for the last book. It was the only one I read when it came out, um, and I was kind of swept up in it. Uh, you know, I I got it on Amazon, got it delivered, you know, that day, and read it that weekend. And it just, I don't know. I Lily loves it. She's eight, um, so I'm trying to let her process it as best she can, without you know going back and and having my own opinions on it at this point. But yeah, it hasn't aged terribly well for me. um for me personally i didn't read the books i wasn't into harry potter at all when it came out um and i only watched the movies like last year or the year before um so for me it was more so just being able to get the pop culture references rather than like watching it for entertainment because i was completely distracted when they were supposed to be 13 and were like 18 years old and i couldn't (laughs) get into it at that point but um, I mean, I can see I can see about like the aging that you brought up. But I think for me, the thing that hasn't aged well at all is the author, as we talked about kind of in the beginning, and just how incredibly vile she is. So other than that, like I don't have a a real love for Harry Potter or a connection to Harry Potter. Um, other than I did like Gandalf the Blue, which is <laughs> <laughs> like I like him <laughs> so. And then he died, and they had to make a new one. So I was like, I can't even like him. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think, that, I think 
go I ahead, think Mike. Favorite, I think her favorite movie is actually Ace Ventura 1. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we did kind of come on to a, uh, like a little train here. I mean, hmm. we've all seen the meme, right? The uh, What's the saddest death in Harry Potter? My respect yeah. for J.K. Rowling. Yep. <laughs> The, the, the thing that, that killed me in the last book was the fact that it's like, oh, no, Snape was a good guy all along. Somebody just needed to be nicer to him. And I'm like, you have to set up so many women to care for the guy that is a piece of shit to them and treat them like crap and be like, if I'm just nice to him, it'll be OK. Well, that's why yeah. I can tell you if he hits you, he loves you. <laughs> yeah, you're just perpetuating that shit. It pissed me off. <laughs> I liked I liked Snape when he was bad. I didn't like him when I found out he was a good guy. But I have this thing for villains, so you know that's my own issue for me to work through. <laughs> and but it's Alan Rickman, and he's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also, if your introduction was not reading the books, but it was Alan Rickman, totally get it. Yeah, <laughs> that makes my way more sense. My my introduction to Alan Rickman was Prince of Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Die hard. Die hard. Yeah, die hard. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the next person here. Let us spin the wheel. Thank you, Thomas, for sharing that one. And what do we have now? We have... I remember taking... Oh, it's me, actually. So, what I decided to talk about was the movie Sixteen Candles. What's happening, hot stuff? His name is Long Duck Dong. What? Long Duck Dong. He came down with Grandma and Grandpa Baker. He's an exchange student that's living with him. Yeah, well, he's totally bizarre. He is not. He is a very sweet boy. I just hope you bring the sheets and mattresses after he leaves. I don't suppose it makes any difference to you, but there's a very weird Chinese guy up in Mike's room. Yeah. Um, so as I, you know, as I've made mentioned multiple times on this show over the course of 200 episodes, I was a young, impressionable man in the, uh, the, uh, the 80s. And the movies of John Hughes are something you could not escape. Um, no. I, I feel like. To me, there, there was a time when I felt like Sixteen Candles kind of talked to me because it had really cool music and it was at the time genuinely funny. And I think the last time I had like a really good hard laugh at the movie was when I was at school in New York and uh, they had like our we had like the movie club and every weekend we would uh, you could go and you watch a movie on the screen and it was really neat and you could get you could buy popcorn and we'd always show up high. And that was great. <laughs> and um, I, I saw 16 Candles every showing that weekend. Um, and yes, I was high the entire time. So, but <laughs> I laughed my ass off so much at it. And it just, it, it filled me with these just amazing memories. So about a year or two ago, um, Autumn and I were going kind of like on an 80s um on an 80s bender, kind of, just to, like, there were certain movies that, that she had never watched or hadn't seen in a very, very, very long time. Uh, Teen Wolf was one of those movies that we watched, and I was, I was never a fan of that movie, but it, it aged about as well as you expect it would for the second-tier 1985 Michael J. Fox movie. Um, 
But then we sat and we watched 16 Candles. And I'm watching this with all of the shame. Like, they should have just had Septa Unella behind me with the bell, ringing it as I am walking down the alleys of Westeros, naked, having garbage flung at me and dudes just wagging their dicks in my face. Because... Oh, that's a Game of Thrones reference. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Mike. Yep. Because the shame I felt remembering how much I used to laugh at this. We'll start... Um, I'm going to start my example at Long Duck Dong, um, played by Getty Watanabe. Oh, boy. Now, I I was told that at least he got a happy ending. You know, he got the girl. He he got a girl. Um, but every everything about him, from every time they say his name, there's a gong that goes off. Yeah. Every single time. And I was actually discussing this with uh, Chinlin from the Bingeables podcast that she actually watched. She actually went to a class that kind of discussed how Asians are, are depicted in film. And goddamn, this is still a, um, a hurdle that we have to we have to be able to climb over at some point. It's gotten mm-hmm. a little better. But then Emma Stone got cast as a. Um, <laughs> Oh. Was she supposed to be cast? What was she supposed to be cast at in uh, that movie? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Emma Stone. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's this? But there was a movie. What was the name of the movie? Aloha. Oh, Aloha. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking that was the title. I'm like, that can't possibly be the title because that's way too on the nose. If uh, you're essentially casting Emma Stone as an Asian. Um yeah, I know. It it reminds me that you remember that John Oliver thing about uh, whitewashing roles. Oh yeah, yeah. The and how is had, this still a thing? Yeah, and they had the <laughs> thing about Ridley Scott saying that he couldn't uh, cast the role of Ramses in um, in that god awful Moses movie yeah. because he couldn't just catch such and cast such and such from so and so because you know it might hurt the uh, reputation of whoever the fuck this is. Well, if, 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 if I'm trying to, because I I watched that I watched last week tonight more than I probably should. Um, There's I, not enough. But, There's just not <laughs> enough. You could watch that. But yeah, I think it's something along the I can't mount a million dollar production um, off of um, you know two guys named you know so and so and what's his name or something something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, and yeah, and then they point out that he that he did cast Joel Edgerton, who was even more of a who the hell is this guy at the time than he is. <laughs> Whoever the fuck this guy is. Yeah, the large man baby. Yes, <laughs> the the guy who can't do any accent, including his own. Right. <laughs> when you're talking about. Um, would you remember what the name of that movie was? I want to say Exodus. Gods of Egypt, and that's oh Exodus. Okay, I know Gods of Egypt is totally. Wrong whitewashed Egypt movie. Yes. Um, but with yeah, no, Exodus with um with Christian Bale as Moses. John Turturro as Ramses. That was my favorite piece of casting. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get to the might the even worse part of, of Sixteen Candles, which is uh, Jake Ryan, human trafficker. Because I remember, and this is still the thing, it's like, you know, women 
who are my age and older who are still lusting after Rick Springfield. Um, <laughs> there are there are still women that think that Jake Ryan from Sixteen Candles was like the ultimate dream catch. And if you break his story arc down, he essentially gets so pissed at his girlfriend that she just he just hands her to this nerd that was left in his house to do with what he will while she is passed out. (laughs) And it's just like, wow, that's awful. The nerd, um, Farmer Ted, played by um, Michael Anthony Hall, has no qualms about doing whatever. They treat it like it's just this normal, everyday thing that happens. She kind of loves him, which is terrifying. And then there's Sam, the main character, who is just like, I understand. I'd be pissed if my family forgot my 16th birthday on the day of my birthday. But it's just this not the first 45 minutes of this movie are her whining about it, like just literally whining about it. And I don't know if that's just my adult mind where I have children and I have a preteen child. Where it's just like, oh, God, shut up. <laughs> you don't stop this. I'm going to forget more of your birthdays. This is why we, we we obviously show that we love your sister more than you. Because she's blonde. As she, yes, exactly. She's blonde. Samantha's redhead, which means that she might as well have just been born just for organ transplants for the other two kids. <laughs> It just, it's such a just, it's one of these movies that if I, if I said I'm not going to watch it anymore because of X, Y, and Z, I'm sure that some nutcase that I have yet to unfriend on Facebook is just going to say, you can't erase history. Yeah. But this movie is just like, and it just makes me think, first of all, that the period of 1984 and 1985 for movies is just, like, horrific in the way they handle anything. Because Joe had mentioned maybe tackling the low-hanging fruit of Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> because that is really low-hanging fruit. Oh, yes. my yep. God. It's just, like, there was this great uh, college humor video that came out a yep. few years ago where they're talking about how they're going to embarrass their boss. And every single thing is... Essentially sexual assault. Yep. But they're taking it out of movies from the 80s. And they're like, well, what if he's standing at the the podium and then we hire a hooker and she blows him? That's sexual assault. If he's not, like, down for that, then – but it's going to be hilarious. It's from (laughs) Police Academy. No, that's horrifying. Do you guys realize how much much rape is in these movies? A lot. There was – they kind of made fun of that in Heather's. They did. They did. The um, there was only what there's only so many keggers and date rape uh, jokes these guys can tell. Yeah. Uh, but that's there, that. Yeah, Tom, go ahead. I was I was just gonna say yeah, there was a very weird rule in in the '80s for a lot of mainstream comedies of as long as it happens to a woman, it's funny. Right. Right. But, yeah, just horrifying on a constant basis watching a lot of those now. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Long Duck Dong gets he he you know he and the girl he he gets with have fun and enjoy each other, but she is clearly 
not the pretty girl in the school. She is the weirdo. <coughs> right. She's like six and a half feet tall. She's heavier than anybody else because she's she's an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's so an athlete. probably a, a size ten. Yeah. And and she's wearing that weird. She's got that weird sweatshirt where the ballerina has a skirt that she can. Uh, oh no! You're confusing. You're confusing Long Duck Dong's girlfriend with Joan Cusack's like three scenes where she had the neck brace and the acad the, the, the twice Academy Award nominated actress uh, has no lines. <laughs> and I think it was done as a favor to her brother who shows up as one of the nerds. Who puts Farmer Ted up to stealing Samantha's panties? You see where we're going with this? <laughs> yep. Yeah, he has to borrow them being a nice guy. He's like, I need this for a bet. And she's like, okay. And then it turns out, oh my God, my brother saw my panties. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're charging for them. Like a dog. And they're just, they just look at them. They don't do anything, well, not on screen. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But. Yeah, no, the whole the whole thing's just like it's it's embarrassing to say that I really love that movie, and it just kind of like also just puts a shines a spotlight on was John Hughes really a even a good director? Well, I mean, you if you if you look at Breakfast Club, don't you fucking yeah, that, say Breakfast Club show that movie's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking high school student speak talks like that ever. Andy, I'm not arguing that point with you. Okay. But Breakfast Club is considered part of, you know, one of the top films of the John Hughes oeuvre. Mm-hmm. We'll not deny that for him. <laughs> not deny that, right? And that's a. Re- I, I, I will admit that it was a film that was shot on uh, celluloid and shown in theaters. <laughs> it had a movie poster and a soundtrack. The. I- <laughs> But a lot of the issues that you pointed out in Sixteen Candles also applies to to uh, to the Breakfast Club. So yeah, you got to wonder: Is John Hughes really that good? I feel like because both of these movies, along with some others, helped to inspire not another teen movie, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if we remove Chris Evans from not another teen movie, um, are, are we still are we still in the camp of loving like that movie? movie? All right, because here's here's the thing, Nick. That movie is way funnier than it has any right to be. Exactly. I laughed my ass off with the foreign the foreign exchange student who just showed up naked. Right. And then the girl shows up at the party who's also naked. Like I can't believe that bitch wore what I wore. (laughs) Um, And by the way, that foreign exchange student was a Power Ranger as well. Yep. Oh really? Yes. She a latter day uh, Power Ranger. Uh, she was uh, Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. She was the Yellow Ranger. Okay, so that was I, I think uh, the one after In Space. Yes, yeah, yes, it was. I know that. You really can tell the generational divide here. Between <laughs> <laughs> Todd, do you have anything to say about Power Rangers or the John Hughes movies? <laughs> uh, Power Rangers were after my time, and Sixteen Candles was before my time. I love. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, so John Hughes is okay in my book. Okay, and that is the one, that is his one, that is his magnum opus. That is his <laughs> Citizen Kane. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is pretty good, too. In my opinion. I'll, Shut fired. Okay, I'll give you that it's a Thanksgiving movie, and there are none of those. So there's, <laughs> there is that. Yes. Lloyd. 
weird science. No. Then, yes. I had to ex- Mike, uh, I put the, the song Weird Science on my Halloween playlist and had to explain to the kids what the premise of that movie was. And even the premise sounds rapey. It's just... <laughs> well, yeah, but if you look at the end of that movie, it is not rapey at all. It's about uh, guys learning to respect the women that they, they love. I also have a hard time buying uh, mid-80s uh, Robert Downey Jr. as being any type of, of heartthrob and or, um, well, really anything other than another Michael Anthony Hall. Well, he was a cocaine addict. I was about to say, I have a hard hey, time just hey, imagining hey, him sober hey. during that time. He's changed. Leave his past in the past. Oh, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm talking about his past. I'm willing his, to know. His, today is great. Well, that's what I'm saying is that 80s, well, first of all, just full disclosure on, on mid-80s RDJ, I legitimately thought he was gay. Um, just watch the movie uh, Less Than Zero and you find you see all you need to know about mid-80s RDJ. Yeah, that's a, that, that's essentially yeah. a prequel to Age of Ultron, by the way. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a happy one either. <laughs> no. You want you want Ricochet, you, but I don't know what year that's from. Which one? Ricochet. With Ricochet. Denzel Washington movie. Oh, Denzel and John Lithgow, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I was like 92, I think. I remember my co- one of my um, my college professors got bored and let us watch it in class because you know what the fuck, and <laughs> yeah, it was like why why what what possible reason are we watching this other than somebody brought it in? Um, <laughs> oh shit! I just lost my train of thought about something. Oh yeah, about other embarrassing things that I'm embarrassed to say. I love that have aged terribly. The uh, the written works of uh, Brad Easton Ellis. <laughs> Okay. All right. No one's no gonna way. get that reference. Okay, that's no. cool. Um, I, I yield the floor to the next person. So, anybody else have any thoughts on uh, the John Hughes filmography before we be uh, we move on? Well, From- uh, we've, I think we've talked about it before. The fact that uh, that you know we were only two years apart in high school with a uh, Joe in the middle, but uh, my class was much more Breakfast Clubby than your class. Right. You know, we had, you know, people, people were like on the mathletes or the chess team and they were also in drama club and they were also on like, you know, baseball or softball or something because we had to diversify our resumes in order to get into college. Mm. Yep. I, I just went to school in the eighties where everything was just the, uh, a simple mind soundtrack. Yeah. Yes, Mike. <laughs> yeah. For me, uh, the character of Lung Duck Dong is best, um, Best epiphany uh, immortalized in one sentence. No more Yankee, my wanky. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those goddamn grandparents talking slow to them. Dong, uh, where is grandpa's automobile? <laughs> All right. Spinning the wheel. Who goes next? And we have Todd. Well, speaking of rapey, uh, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> segway, <laughs> segway, um, pirates of the pancreas, Morty. Four <laughs> let's go. So, I want to talk a little about a little bit about Bill Cosby. You know what's so cool about Jello gelatin pops? They taste just like Jello gelatin, but they've got a handle. So, 
While your right hand is doing this, your left hand can be doing this or this or, you know. But if your left hand sees how much fun your right hand is having, it won't want to be left out. Okay. Now you have to share Jell-O gelatin pops. Real Jell-O gelatin, only cooler. And, you know, when your childhood idols turn out to be rapists. I think Todd wins. All that stuff. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's tough. And we don't need to talk at length about it. But specifically, the Cosby show and Bill Cosby himself, his stand up album and film that kind of uh, led to the Cosby show. um, It's just it's all just very problematic now because of you know, the truth about what he did and how he got to where he was and what he did when he was in, in charge and in power the, the whole time. Um, you know, it, I think the Cosby show had some real, um, you know, some, some real, it was a breakthrough show in, in that time. I, I wasn't, I was alive for the first season, but I was just born during the first <laughs> season. So you may have to uh, fill in the gaps here, Andy, but uh, you know, breaking ratio. I watched it. <laughs> yep. No, we I all watched, watched it. it. You know, syndication <laughs> is a thing, so I watched it then too. Uh, but breaking racial stereotypes, you know, showing an African American family in the '80s um, in a, in a middle to upper middle class setting was something that was brand well, new. He was, he was an obstetrician, and she was a lawyer. Yeah. Upper class family. Yeah. They lived very so, well, and their kids went to good uh, schools. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a genuinely good, it was a good show. It was number one ranked show for, you know, most of its time. It it stuck in the same time slot on the same day. How often does that happen now? Yeah. It was Thursdays at 8 p.m. It's whole time. Like, there was no change to that. It was a very stable, very steady show. It was highly regarded when it was on. It was highly regarded when it, you know, came off the air. And then, you know... Uh, I got rid of my season one DVD of it because, you know, of of Bill Cosby's history at this point. And even, you know, Malcolm Jamal Warner played Theo. He called, he just said the show is tarnished. So it's, you know, it's not just the people who watch the show. It's the people who were, you know, helping to create that show. Mm-hmm. And personally, Bill Cosby himself was one of my favorite stand-up albums. And the mm-hmm. movie, the film is amazing. Um so funny i actually saw bill cosby at mechanics hall in 2002 and he did the dentist bit and it was one of the most joyous experiences of my life but now i look back on it with this tinge of just like ugh, like uh not great you know not not great for me anymore so that's where i am didn't age well um for and and it should have it it that show especially deserved better it deserved better than his legacy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I am being somebody who was influenced by the show and more so the spinoff, A Different World, um, that highlighted HBCUs. That's where I attended my undergrad college. And Bill Cosby was actually my commencement speaker for my graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was sad to see that because how many shows, how many black shows do we get that reset status, you know, that don't that aren't stereotypical, um, that don't highlight like, you know, people in gangs or you know doing crime and things like that um you know we have martin and we have the fresh prince and if anything ever happens to those i'm like i'm gonna lose <laughs> right. and like you know living single girlfriends moesha like those shows those are all like the 90s and you know you had the cosby show in the 80s which i watched 
in the 90s as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with Todd. It's, it's sad because you look back on it and all you can do is like think about like, oh, what was really going on? And then you hear stories of like, um, you know, Lisa Bonet telling stories about her experience there and why Denise left and things like that. So it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And, and Nick, it's not only who it's it's not only what happened it's who knew about right. it too. Like, right. You tell me Felicia Rashad didn't know something mm-hmm. <laughs> was happening during that. But yeah, Tom, you know, Tom Werner is a, a minority owner of the Red Sox. So we hear about the Cosby show all the time when we're talking, when we're listening to, you know, the, the Red Sox and their, you know, showy, you know, showy kind of uh, production based, uh, you know, style. And it's like, yeah, okay, you, you did create this this very successful thing, but it does it hold up? And and the answer right now is no, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. It's it's tough too because like for someone like myself, and you know, I don't know if I can speak for Joe or Catherine here because we're kind of in that bracket. But we grew up with Bill Cosby. We had you know we had Fat Albert. You know we had picture yeah, pages. Yeah, the- picture pages was the best. Picture. Picture pages on the Cosby, the Cosby Kids. Yeah, yeah. We we was, had that. The album that was yeah the Cosby Kids cartoon, which was like pretty much every character was voiced by Bill Cosby, was based on uh, a previous album before himself. Yeah, which was also an amazing album. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim and I grew up listening to those albums when we were kids. We would listen to, um, you know, to my brother Russell, who I used to sleep with, and uh, all these these other these other great albums from like the late sixties and early seventies, because yep. he was such a great storyteller and he just, we, we grew up with this and I, like himself kind of introduced us to a lot of the more grown up uh, Bill Cosby. And then we know we get the Cosby show, which that, that pilot episode is essentially nothing but bits from that routine. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I want you to go upstairs. I want you to kill the child. Um, and you know, we had the, we had Bill Cosby doing all the commercials, you know, Kodak film and Coca-Cola and pudding pops and jello pudding pops and just all that stuff. It is just like all of that happened. And then, um, there's a podcast that I listen to and Catherine listens to called behind the bastards. Mm -hmm. Did you listen to the Bill Cosby episode? I have not. I will have to It's a two-parter, and what they do is they kind of break down, uh, they they create a timeline between when the first complaints started happening, which is in the 70s, and how that was tied to albums he was doing for PSAs about, um, you know, telling kids about drug use, and while it seems, yeah, that's great, Bill Cosby's telling these, these great stories and keeping kids off of drugs, he is also turning around and drugging women and it's just this it is a really good listen if you want a a podcast that believe it or not is still kind of funny but really highlights a lot of the the issues with that and just as someone you know again who spent the 70s and 80s growing up with bill cosby that's that's tough in fact todd we almost autumn and i almost went to go see bill cosby at the cape cod um melody Melody yeah about a year before everything went down and just mm-hmm. I don't remember what we was like eh, Bill Cosby or we can say a little more local and go see Jimmy Tingle. We went to go see Jimmy Tingle and I now I'm like I'm really happy I got to see him. Boston Zone. So 
Yeah, it's, you know, you're absolutely right. I, all those earlier, you know, stand up things, but he was, he was America's dad, you know, yeah. he was, he was a surrogate father for, for millions of, of kids, you know, and for my generation and, and others. And, and just to see what happened is, is not, not great. Not great. So. Well, guys, if, if you ever need a Bill Cosby filler, my sister is convinced she does a great impression of him. So. Oh, that's ah, good. Because nice. <laughs> we are literally reduced to, we're, we're reduced to product names only. Yeah. Bill, Bill, everybody's got a Bill Cosby, just like everybody's got a Christopher Walken. So. Right. <laughs> you see? The jazz. <laughs> but he's a great jazz musician. They all are. <laughs> my other one so, was superman 4 quest for peace which is a terrible movie i loved it as a child and it is it is one of the worst movies i've ever seen as an adult so there you go okay that's what i got <laughs> I, I i watched that when i got the um the box of steel as a christmas gift and i'm like well there was a reason why i didn't watch this movie when i was 13 years old yeah it's real bad Oh, it's terrible. I saw, oh, I, I, saw, I saw Quest for Peace in theaters, and oh, I knew it was bad. However, we recently, uh, I hadn't watched it in, in decades, and my husband had never seen the original Superman, the movie. It kind of holds up. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. We saw it in the theater a few years ago. Yeah. That's phenomenal. But, um, yeah, no, the whole thing with, with Quest for Peace is it makes a lot more sense. If you then turn around and go watch Electric Boogaloo, the uh, canon film story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. It makes so much more sense. All so right. If you use this shot here and here and here and here, <laughs> you save money. Isn't comp- film compositing a great thing? Yeah. All right. Let's Take spin that, that wheel. Who is next on our list? So we have got, oh man, that wheel is spinning there. And we got Joe. Yay. Joe, what are you okay. talking about today? <laughs> All right. Well, like Andy pointed out earlier, I, I could have gone for the low hanging fruit of Revenge of the Nerds, but I decided to go after a very beloved franchise. And that, or at least one specific movie in that franchise, and that's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And it's very, very casual racism. Ah, that's it. Chilled a monkey brain. Are you saying that they don't eat chilled monkey brains? It's not, Mike. Oh, wow. I've been living in a fool's paradise here. Well, you know, it, it, it all starts, you know, fairly early on with Short Round and his stunted speech. <laughs> oh, God. I, I feel bad for that kid because, like, that's the only type of roles he could get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between yeah. that and Data, and then no, it's a no. It's no wonder he quit acting. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it was know, the eighties. It was hell. You know, it's it's like okay, you're going to depict colonial era India, ah. you know, 
which the Indian government was not happy about. I mean, they they reviewed the the, the film and and they asked Steven Spielberg, "Hey, uh, can you make some changes to the script?" So Steven Spielberg just up and moved the production to Sri Lanka. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, fuck you then. <laughs> it's, it, it's a red flag that you're not going to be culturally sensitive if if colonial is included anywhere <laughs> in, in what you're doing. As soon as you as soon as someone says colonial, I immediately think, okay, so everyone not white's going to be uncivilized. Okay, I get it, and no, thank you. Like a, like a good school mascot, right, guys? We're supposed to, yeah. supposed to be of the, the Indians, you know, in that movie. Well, the problem, but, the, but the problem is, is, okay, one, the Indians are depicted as these dirty, poor people who need this six-foot-tall American white savior to help them and save them. Uh, <laughs> you, you, want, you want white savior? Go to the end of that movie. Oh, God. Who goes in the cavalry? <laughs> the English <laughs> cavalry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Colonial area in the in, colonial era India. Let's have the British cavalry come in and save the day. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's almost like Margaret Thatcher had a little input at the for the end of the movie. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it literally. It's yeah. It's one of those. Things, this movie's definitely just shy of shoe polishing white people. For the in terms of how far it goes with with being racist, <laughs> um, but yeah, no the the watching it again as when I was I think in my late twenties, early thirties, compared to when I was in my teens, was that when I was in my teens and I watched it, I didn't think anything about the the British showing up at the end to save the day. My late twenties, early thirties. I'm watching it going, the only way this is true is if someone lied to these British military <laughs> guys and said Gandhi was here. <laughs> uh, I have tried so hard not to show my kids this movie. Like, my daughter's seen the good two. And it's right. like, if I show her this one, she's smart enough to know, and she's going to point stuff out immediately. Um, I mean, even, even like... At the beginning, in in Shanghai, oh, yeah. what, what is the what is the character's name? Lo, Lao She. Yeah, Lao She. Uh, nice yeah. try, Lao She. Lao Su. Lao Su. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like everybody's got like these these just ridiculous. They're all British actors that that are just trying to affect an Asian accent, just mm. like generic Asian. Yeah. But Andy. They're at Club Obi Wan. Oh yes, they are. They are yes, there. Yes, they are. And even the banquet guests at the dinner um, are all just like they're they're putting on their. Yes, my my parents came here from Pakistan, uh, but I have a, a proper British accent, and now I get to do an Indian accent. Let's see how that sounds. <laughs> yep. I feel like the best way to show this movie to your kids, where you can say you at least tried. But don't have to go too too into the weeds with the movie. Yeah, is turn the movie on when it gets to the getting into the airplane. Just go, hey, guess what? That's Dan Aykroyd, you know, <laughs> from Ghostbusters. We um, love Ghostbusters, don't we? Hey, let's watch Ghostbusters <laughs> right now. I need to watch Ghostbusters, and then switch it over to Ghostbusters. And you're yep. Not Venkman isn't a creep. 
god. I, I would just go for one special features, like you know, the fact that you know they tested on, on MythBusters. Did hey, if you inflate, and is that survivable? That's a good one for the beginning, and then uh, later on when they're doing the riding the cart, I watched the special features like when when before you could buy just the VHS a couple weeks after the movie was out in theaters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would you would watch the making of on on network television, and it was like they had to like you know they had like twelve feet of track, and to make it look longer they just kept changing the lighting, and I'm like, <laughs> well that's clever. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting how movies are made? Yeah. And, <laughs> it's and like and, and and let's and all the rest of this, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's especially interesting to know that that movie is a lot more enjoyable if you mute it the, the entire way. Uh, there's only so much uh, uh, screaming of uh, well, what's her name? I already forgot. Her Willie name. Scott. Willie Scott. Yeah. Willie Scott. Yeah. Kate Capshaw, yeah. Kate Capshaw. But, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, besides being just racist as shit and cultural, culturally insensitive that they take God, these, these these deities, these Indian deities that are actually very peaceful, are peaceful deities in the, in, 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 in the religion, and turn them evil just for shits and giggles. It's like, ooh, yeah, no. <laughs> I feel like all of this will be solved if Hollywood ever buys my Indiana Jones remake <laughs> and <laughs> I'm able to tell the story my way. <laughs> right, because, awesome. It's really just Indiana Jones stealing things from museums and giving them back to the original owners. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Indiana Jones as a whole. I mean, the guy's a grave robber. He's the he's the entire British, you know, he's the he's the right. British museum. Right. I just, okay, I'm I'm sold already because I love the idea of most of the museums in England being empty. Yeah. So he steal everything back, and obviously he'd be played by Chris Evans, and because Indiana Jones and Chris Evans were born the same year, like the the franchise and Chris Evans. So I thought like oh, that's true. So yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping happens. <laughs> I'm glad you pr- you pointed out as a franchise. I was like, he was born in 1918. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is really blessed genetically. Oh yeah, yes. he is yeah. very. Yes, he is because that's America's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Clear, clearly, unlike in the movie, he drank from the from the chalice. I mean, yes, he goes wisely. Yeah. <laughs> but even like Harrison Ford back in the day, like Harrison Ford was a babe, right? Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Indiana Jones deserves better. He could be he could be a good guy. I mean, I know to most people he's a good guy, but really he's not. So he, well, well, he, can, he, can, no, he can no longer say it belongs in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it maybe, maybe it does belong in a museum in its country of origin. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, one of the funny thing is, too, we, we talked a lot about, like, the racial stereotypes and just, like, the – just this, this horrific racial insensitivity. Let's talk for a moment about the inherent sexism in this movie, um, yeah. as embodied by Willie Scott, played by Kate Capshaw, who is essentially the, – there is no path to redemption for her. There is no point where she grows as a human being. No. She's – 
She's shallow and selfish at the beginning. She's shallow and selfish at the end. The only difference is that she makes out with Indy at the end on top of an elephant. Yeah. That's all I got to no, say. No, no. The only difference is that she's riding an elephant, and earlier she didn't want to ride an elephant. That's that's true. Okay, so that I guess that's emotional growth, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. Uh, well, that's, well, is that book five of Harry when, Potter? Is that where we're at right now with the emotional growth? <laughs> yes, when, 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 somebody wraps, when somebody wraps a whip around you, you tend to get agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way to my heart. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, said man, Ray. <laughs> now, now we know why she wants Chris Evans to play Indiana Jones. There we go. It's, it's all coming together. It's... No, because honestly, I think that she, her one redeemable quality was the fact that she actually put and kept her hand in that bug hole. Oh yeah. <laughs> out because he would have died on my watch. Yeah. yeah, that was that was that was another thing in the uh the, the, the special features was shooting that scene and like you know the the bug wranglers carefully placing all the bugs everywhere and I was like nope 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 don't want to be yeah. actors anymore nope I'm done <laughs> <laughs> exactly Mm-mm. no Mm-mm. I, uh. I think one of the best ways to to look at Indiana Jones in terms of how likable he is conceptually is looking at people that were doing exactly what he was doing, but with animals. Mm-hmm. There oh, is, right. I, I don't know if you can find it online, but on YouTube, but if you can try to sit through, there's this old short called catching trouble from MST. On behalf of my species, I apologize profusely. Yes. That's actually a short that it, even with the riffing, it is a hard time for me to get through that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh. But it is, yeah, it's literally this guy grabbing, you know, baby animals by their back legs and flinging them around and shoving them in, in bags and tying the bags up. Also, that way they can fill zoos, which at the time were horrific on a whole different level. Right. And that's that's all Indiana Jones is, just with inanimate objects. <laughs> that's no. really all he is. Not yeah. so inanimate because he made that you know stone come to life, right? So yeah. Yeah. Well, it glowed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and this is all this is all not counting Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Indiana Jones literally is completely inconsequential to his own movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's always my favorite argument. Okay, Joe, do you have anything else to say about Indiana Jones? Anyone else got anything to say? We got three more to go through. No, that's it. All right. Okay, so let's spin that wheel and see who is up next. Nick! It's me. I'm dying to hear yours because when you asked me about this, I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, I wonder what she's going to say. So go ahead. What are we talking about? All right, we're talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. Daniel, hi. Could you make me a woman? Honey, I'm so happy. Oh, come here. I know you'd understand. Is this going to hurt? Don't whine, just relax. Are you sure? Just remember, pain is beauty. Okay, here we go. Take a deep breath. Instant eye lift. Wow. And you'll never see the strings that'll be under the wig. 
The man has five o'clock shadow at 8.30 a.m. and you're worried about strings? All right, we'll start with makeup. I'm not gonna wax. Don't worry, we'll just lightly spackle. I feel like Gloria Swanson. You look like a mother. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Okay, everyone. <laughs> oh! Yeah, this is one where I'm actually on the fence, but I, I hear... I hear what people are saying on both sides. Um, and so a lot of people raise the question, you know, is Miss Doubtfire both transphobic and sexist? And, um, you know, I think like we, we've been saying with a lot of this, at the time that it came out, that wasn't an issue that was uh, to the forefront of everyone's mind. So there was a lot that this movie got to do that I don't think that would be made the same way or even at all now, you know? Um, and on one side, let me just say, for the movie itself, I think that of all the Robin Williams movies as far as his comedies and things, this is one of his, his best performances. Um, but, you know, he... <laughs> he, he it's wrong. Like he wasn't supposed to be around his kids, and then he got around his kids by dressing up like a nanny. And there was just like a bunch of things in this movie where, it, watching it more recently, I was like, "Ooh, can they do that?" They <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and I hear what people are saying. Like a lot of people talk about how one of the things that people bring up that I, I don't necessarily agree with it in the same way, but I get what they're saying. is kind of the scene where Miss Doubtfire is found out by Robbie. Um, and, you know, he's in the bathroom. First of all, no one wants to see a dude peeing. And he's in the bathroom <laughs> peeing. And the son walks in and then immediately he's like, I'm going to out him, you know, but. Yeah. Well, is, doesn't he say he's, he's a she, she, she's a, yeah. he, she's a she, she. Yeah. That and, whole thing. I don't see, like, that part was kind of like, you know, they wouldn't do that now, but the whole outing, I don't see it as, like, an outing in the way that we say that now, like, we're outing somebody as transgender. It was more so, hey, that's my dad, you know? So, I don't think I don't think that it was that way, but I, I feel where that could be triggering for people who are of that community. Um, but in general, you know, I, I, I personally would love to hear what you guys think about it, because I... I love this movie. <laughs> like, you know, nostalgically, I I really like this movie. One of my, like, most, my first memories really is the opening scene of Miss Doubtfire. And to this day, I want somebody to throw me a birthday party like that. Like, I want that in my life. But With the horses? Yeah, like, you know, they were, like, jumping around. The horses were there. They were in the house. He was having, like, a big party. They had the soccer ball, birthday cake. They were playing Jump Around by... I actually don't know who made that song, but you know, jump around, jump around. Oh, House oh, of that's Pain. House of Pain. Yeah. <laughs> like they were playing that song. Like, it was really awesome. Um, as a birthday party in general. But, you know, as as we move through and become more conscious as a society, I don't think that I don't think that this is gonna be one of the movies that gets remade in this new era of remakes, if I put it that way, because I don't think that they can find a way to really do it and respect all the communities involved, you know? Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well I, for myself personally, and it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so if, you know, if I, if I get any part of it wrong, by all means, let me know. I 
I would err on the side of it not being transphobic just because the what he's dressing up as is circumstantial. Mm-hmm. It's literally about trying to look as much not like himself as possible. Right. right. It's not a disguise. Yeah, not necessarily trying to become, you know, he's not trying to dress like a woman to reap the benefits of being a woman. Right. Or, or anything of that nature. He literally just needs to look as opposite of himself as he, as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. Hmm? It's not Tootsie. Yeah, it's not... Does anybody else remember that Tootsie exists? Oh, yeah. Yes. They made yes. work to it in this I'm movie. I'm so sad actually. to say I think Tootsie's one of the most brilliantly written movies ever. But, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It, Tootsie <laughs> definitely falls into that line. Um, I'm mainly just bitter that that movie exists because then they made a musical and it made them recast Greg <laughs> on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. But... Um, <laughs> There's there's my little rambling. But no, I so that's where, side. where I I um kind of feel the same and the reason I can't 100% call it out is because the same way that I would really prefer that people who aren't a part of a community don't say I'm being too sensitive about issues about, you know, racism and, and mm. that I don't ever want to say that people aren't valid for feeling the way that they feel. Um because maybe I don't see it from the same side, but I definitely wonder, you know, because there are a lot of movies that are being remade now. I just roll my eyes huge at the others being remade. Like, you know, like there's a lot of movies that are just coming, being scheduled to be remade in the next few years. And this one, it seems like it would be one of those ones that they would try, but then I don't think they could. Because yeah. Well, they were talking um, about... Six months before Robin Williams passed away, there were talks about a sequel had been in develop like they've been working um, on multiple scripts because they wanted to get it just right and all the normal stuff that they say uh, when they're yeah. doing sequels with the large gap. Uh, they definitely wouldn't remake this, but I don't think it's because of the the transphobic stuff because I think with what I said whether it's valid or not it could be your safety guard Yeah, you couldn't make this movie again because this movie is intensely sexist yeah <laughs> um, this movie is intensely sexist in the fact that we make Sally Fields a truly truly evil heartless horrible human being with, for no reason other than to give him a reason to dress up. Right. <laughs> right. She doesn't have any valid, um, anything valid to back up just how intense she is about destroying his life and cutting him out of his children's life. There's no really good reasoning behind it besides the need to move the plot forward. Right. Right. No, and I agree with that for sure. <laughs> she was so hate her so much. <laughs> I I do find it interesting though in this movie that like if you because he's got you know Harvey Firestein and his brother as his brother and it's like this was the point in the eighties where you only had one solid go to gay actor, mm-hmm. and it was Harvey Firestein. <laughs> Not a bad choice, by the way. 
No, no, I don't think it's a bad choice. And I mean, if, if you really want to get down to a movie that kind of, for lack of a better term, redeems Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams, and that's The Birdcage. Yes. Yeah, I, I was actually going yeah. to bring that up. It's like, what, what would you think of The Birdcage, where you have this straight man playing a flamboyant gay man club owner in, in Miami? Mm-hmm. The thing me, is, me, I think that that movie is is intensely gay positive at a weird time in the 90s when it was still kind of a novelty for that to happen. Yeah. Robin Williams isn't incredibly flamboyant. I don't feel like he's he's really putting his gay on as much as Nathan Lane, who I I believe is gay, right? Yes. Okay, yes. good. Just I, I, I knew it shouldn't have been a question, but you know, just could I was just like I couldn't remember if he if he had actually come out or not. But Nathan Lane is is truly the star of that movie. Oh yeah. But that's I th- I feel like the the lessons learned in that is is really kind of redeeming to anything that might have been blowback from Mrs. Doubtfire. Right, but, but I mean, given given the, the the modern focus on representation of you know having actors of the actual background yeah. play the people who they're supposed to be playing, so you know. As much as we all love Robin Williams, it's like, okay, is it problematic that he played a gay man in the mid-90s for this movie? I would say it's not necessarily problem. It's not g- generically, in a generic sense, bad. Because he did, he did turn down the Nathan Lane role to play um, Armand. Yeah. Yes, um, Armand and Albert. <laughs> which, which I thought was great. Um, but a, a definite argument could be made that to have a gay guy in real life play the flamboyant one and a straight man in real life play the one that's not as flamboyant and not as much um, a caricature or in worst def- in the worst possible definition, a stereotype, um, that could be detrimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and like Andy said, I mean, overall... The Birdcage is very gay positive. I mean, yes. it, it, it's, it's not, you know, there's there's nothing in it that makes you think, gives you a bad impression about gay people. You know, it does play up on some of the stereotypes that people had, you know, like mm-hmm. Nathan Lane's character very much is the flamboyant gay man that most mainstream Americans have when they think yeah, of yeah. a gay man. But overall, the movie itself is a very gay positive movie, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it would have been an entirely different, um, you know, conversation if Robin Williams played Armand as like in like more of a negative sense. Yeah, well, but yeah. considering yeah. that he's more, he's a very positive character. Well, you it, know what it is, is 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 that scene where he's doing the trying to do the choreography. He's trying to explain to the dancers what oh, the yeah. choreography is, yeah. and like you know, he's doing Bill, Fo- you know, Bob Fosse, Bob Fosse, 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 Madonna, but. <laughs> <laughs> that feels Which like that came side. from. <laughs> that feels like that came from his stand-up, though. Yeah, I think that was. I I would I would bet good money that him doing the examples of different dancing was improvised. Yeah, oh, the, twi- the yeah, Twilight one's the best one, and no, it didn't show up in any of the advertising, and most people didn't get it. But the fact that he throws his shirt over his face when he's doing it is hilarious. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're familiar with Twilight Tharp. Um, 
Yeah, how do we get from talking to... You know, this is honestly, it's all my fault. It's quite honestly my fault. I think I derailed this because conversation. We were, we were talking about, you know, it's... We're, we're explaining the fact that we don't have to damn Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams was not a closed-minded, rapey psychopath. That's, well, okay, great. So he's not a Jake Ryan then. Awesome. We, we, Excellent point. Overly sexist. Yeah. <laughs> he, just yeah. Played, he just played a serial trespasser, Daniel Hillard. It's fine. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he's stalking his kids. Scoff law. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anybody else have any thoughts on uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? Or the birdcage. Or the birdcage. <laughs> Before we move on to our last two here, down to Mike and Catherine. So. Oh, boy. Really interesting hearing what you both have to say about this. So I'll let's. Paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's going to leave us with Catherine. Oh, Mike, you're right. close us out. Oh. Catherine, what are you talking about? Okay, so I am talking about a uh, one of the longer stories from the Tom Baker era of Doctor Who, which is the Talons of Wang Chiang. The bird has flown. One of us is yellow. <laughs> <laughs> If you will now pay close attention, ladies and gentlemen. Great magician. In my country, this is known as the death of a thousand cops. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, I've watched I've watched that series, but not in a very long time. Oh, I own it on DVD, and I took advantage of the fact that I'm working from home and building PDFs now to uh, watch it. Uh, twice through, thanks to my very patient husband, watched it through and then watched it through the commentary track. Uh, because even on the commentary track, they're like, yeah, we could not do that today. Yeah, I mean... That's that's, that's not good. For, first and foremost, I think it's uh, important to say that if we're going to be discussing um, saying anything negative about the Tom Baker era of Doctor Who... Uh, everyone be on the lookout for any man in his late fifties and older, because uh, he's coming to hit you for, for bashing <laughs> on his favorite doctor. Um, my doctor, do you not think I, I own a thirty foot scarf, and I own a, <laughs> and then I briefly lost it, so I also own a twenty foot scarf. Um, I he, he was my favorite doctor until David Tennant came along. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah, but but there was like a couple years of David Tennant and seven years of Doc, of Tom Baker, um, mm-hmm. and of course I watched him over and over and over again on Channel Two PBS. So yeah. we we talked about you know uh, 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 you know America's father. Uh, yeah, Tom Baker was my father figure growing up. <laughs> I will say uh, when it comes to classic Who, 
uh, I'm spacing on the name right now, but the second Doctor is my favorite. Patrick Trotten. Yeah, if yep. for nothing, if for nothing else, the the one episode where he gets into a discussion with his companion about whether it'd be more polite for him to let her die first or for him to die first. <laughs> they, they had that discussion. I sat there and went, he's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he sealed it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the towns of Wang Chang, um, it is set in, uh, I want to say Victorian era. It's, it's set, uh, it's, uh, it's set in London around the time of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Everybody has certain opinions about people who are Chinese or they just assume are Chinese because they don't look white as fuck. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the character playing the lead Chinese character is a white guy in a rubber mask who can't blink on camera because it'll look weird. <laughs> and they do have some people of Asian descent playing characters. One of them actually gets to talk. Wow. Most, most of them just die, and then they're like, you know, they're all dressed in like this stereotypical, you know, Victorian era, you know, Chinese dress of like the black pajamas, and they have like the braid over their head, and so a lot of them are ducking their feet camera, which if you pause, you can be like, yeah, it's because you're a white, white, white dude pretending. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the hero faces are the ones that's like, we actually hired somebody who, who is of Asian descent. Uh, um, but, I watched and, a little bit of and, that and it just, the, the guy looked like Sean Connery after the Asianification that he had and you only lived twice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Or, uh, well, Chris, or Christopher Lee in um, the, uh, the uh, oh, what was it? Uh, the eyes of Fu Manchu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's doing his terrible, his terrible accent. And there were like things oh. like, yeah, there's one point where, uh, you know, the doctor is brought down on stage because the main, the main Chinese character is a magician. And he's like, oh, okay, we're going to do this trick. We're going to put you in this box and I'm going to stab it with swords and you'll be okay. So they put him in the box, spin it around, and then the doctor walks away and the terrible, you know, the Chinese character turns to the audience and goes, the bird has flown the coop. One of us is yellow. And God. on the commentary track, they're like, we could never do that today. That <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm grabbing a pillow right now. I'm just going to put it in front of my face. So just hang tight for one moment. Okay. <laughs> You feel better now? Yes. Yeah, okay. it's, it's. I don't have a jar to scream into, so. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah, all the all the stereotypes, you know the oh, all of you opium addicted people. Oh God, no, really. <laughs> oh, Jesus. They, didn't, they didn't go there, did they? Oh, they did. Oh, they did. Oh, this show <laughs> talking about the oh, oh God, no, no. Yeah, yes, they did. But at uh. the same time. It says more about the British than anything else. Yep. You know, the doctor never does any of this garbage. And uh, at his time, his assistant was Leela, who was from another planet. Mm -hmm. Oh, Leela was and awesome. Leela, and she didn't do any of that garbage. Yeah, this was this was the uh, the the. Oh. But 
Nope, you're breaking up a little bit. Oh, I'm not moving anywhere. Oh. Uh, but the, uh, 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 I think somebody's making noises. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so, like, that whole, that whole thing. And, yeah, it was like, oh, like, the story, like, the story plot itself, like, if it was, if it had, if they hadn't whitewashed the main guy, if they hadn't made it so, you know, at the same time, it was like, yeah, let's admit that England was super fucking racist forever and still is. Thank you, thank you, J.K. Rowling, for affirming that. And... <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the story itself is is interesting and good, which is why the episode holds up. It's also one of the few uh, ones that was done in six half-hour parts as opposed to four or less. Yeah. Four or fewer, so it's like, you know, it had a, it had a very interesting storyline, but, yeah, the, the, the racism, but it really does reveal more about the English character than being like, yep, this is how we were. Oh, man. Oof. Kind of like Back to the Future. Back to the Future is, you know, when you watched it, when you watched it in theaters, if you did, uh, in the 80s, you're like, oh, the 50s were so funny. And then you watch it now and you're like, God, the 80s were so whack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Back to the Future says way more about the 80s than it does about the 50s. And the same thing with, 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 yeah. with this Doctor Who episode. It says way more about England when they, you know, this, this, this particular episode was done in 77. And it says way more about 1977 and way more about, you know, the Victorian era than it does about, you know, the Chinese people. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Oh, boy. They really left no uh, no stereotypical stone unturned on that one. It sounds like. Oh no 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 no! no boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're the guys that do your laundry. Oh god! Oh, oh, yeah. Baskets of laundry. Oh, ancient but Chinese you... secret, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it's also how they sneak the evil homunculus into your house is because they're doing your laundry and they just. They just sneak the homunculus into your house in the basket of laundry, and the homunculus lets the bad guys in. So I, I pay extra for for non-homunculusness. Yes. I don't think I have anything in my house uh, abrasive enough to scrub the filth of this off of me right now. This, Oh, boy, I just feel icky. Doctor Who, as a, as a, as a whole series... Kind of has a history of um, really, really bashing you over the head with any single solitary stereotype they have for any character that's there, mm-hmm. as long as it's not a companion. Right. Because um, I mean, even even if you go into like the current stuff. Uh, like the the current series, you go into like the Matt Smith years. They have the um, you get, you get the the whole in New York City one that had like uh, like pre fame Andrew Garfield in it and a couple <laughs> other people. And I I remember the first time I ever watched that one, I went, 
these these guys know what New Yorkers are like, right? Like, <laughs> the, these have these have these guys met some? <laughs> we could we could introduce them. The, it it's very much yeah. It, it's almost like the show is co-produced by like UKIP members that have the worst opinion about every non-white person on the planet at times. <laughs> um, remember that the target audience of Doctor Who is tweens. Yes. Like, we all, like, I watched this, you know, I watched it on PBS when I was five. I've, I still watch it now in my, my two-foot stack of Tom Baker DVDs. But I know, you know, what the target audience was. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, it was an audience that wouldn't notice that they walked out of one room to walk back into the same room through the same door just with the camera set somewhere else. <laughs> oh, God bless uh, old Doctor Who. That's my favorite part of Doctor Who is seeing how many times they can use one set in one episode <laughs> without changing the set dressing. Yeah, I, I always love the stories of how the BBC just cried poor the entire time with that. Oh, oh every, like, in, 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 you know, on the commentary for this, and then, like, in the commentary, you know, like, when I had, you know, before we got the disc, and it was just like, oh, you can have the two VHS Tom Baker doing a retrospective about all the episodes. They make fun of the BBC props. Oh, like, God. Just think the BBC props are stupid. There is <laughs> Tom, no... Con- there's no commentary more funny than bitter bitter TV show makers getting to do commentary on their show. There's nothing more entertaining in commentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, anybody else got anything to say about Doctor Who before we uh, hand the baton over to Mike? They screwed over Leela something fierce. Did yeah. <laughs> they screw over? Leela. Oh, The yeah. companion. Yeah. Just because because uh, one of the, the producers didn't like her, so they just made up a they just made her suddenly have a uh, relationship with a person that she just met like five minutes ago, and so she's leaving the doctor to be with him. Oh that boy! Was, and that was I think like the third time that they had a female companion leave because she fell in love and decided she wanted to stay there to to get married and have kids. First one was his granddaughter, so I mean. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also the fact that uh, uh, you know, she, the, the actress was like, "There's only so many ways you can say, what is it, doctor? What is it, doctor?'" <laughs> <laughs> she also mentions on the commentary and like on a you know making of that I saw back on Channel Two a gazillion years ago. She's like. There's only so many ways you can do this. She really liked when they brought on other characters that could say, what is it? She's like, I loved K-9 because he got to peace the other guy. Awesome. Well, K-9 was awesome for another reason. I, I never thought of K-9 that way. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, yeah. it's all on your hands to take us home, man. All right. Uh, what are we talking this, about? Well, let me preface this by saying I do still enjoy the movie for what it is. Um, okay. But my pick is Batman 1989. Let me tell you about this guy I know, Jack. Mean kid. Bad seed. Hurt people. I like him already. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, you know the problem was he got sloppy. You know, crazy. He started to lose it. He had a head full of bad wiring, I guess. Couldn't keep it straight up here. He was the kind of guy who couldn't hear the train till it was two feet from him. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Well, made mistakes. And he had us. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Okay, mm. does not hold up. Um, well, I mean, for one, um, uh, 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 the the character Alex Knox, played yep. by um, Robert Wall. Robert yeah, Wall. Robert Wall. Uh, for one, he is a terrible human being he's a sexist character to um kim basinger you know uh, to vicky vale he's always just trying to like get into her pants or whatever and he's just <laughs> he's just not a good person at all yeah. um um but but i mean the real problem is i mean the fact that this i mean yeah, they were limited by the well, the props that they had and like the budget and all that. But when you look at where ba- the Batman movies went to and where they are now, and like you know, all super superhero movies in general, and then you go back to that movie, it's like, okay, this is a Batman that's supposed Batman is supposed to be like, like one of the world's greatest martial artists. Uh, he get, gets to punch people a few times, and that's about it. Um, I mean, he's just like he's stiff as board could be because he can't. He literally can't turn his head because the costume <laughs> won't let him. Um, he can turn his head, but the costume won't move with him. So he he. So the whole time he's just like he he looks like a robot more than a superhero. And I mean, it's just and, and I mean when the Joker is like the is really the kind of center point for the whole movie. And the Joker is really just, um, it's, uh, oh, geez, Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson in clown makeup. Yep. I, I mean, that's how Jack Nicholson acts. That is I know, how I, I know, but it's not the Joker. That's the problem. I mean, you want the Joker go to the Dark Knight. You want Batman go to uh, the Batman begins with the Dark Knight. There, you've got a more realistic, more you know. You know, you got a Batman that can fight. You got a Batman that actually can turn his head. Um, and yeah, okay, he's, he's got one that growls as well. But yeah, um, but I mean, I mean, again, I, I respect Batman 1989 for what it is. I mean, he, and you wouldn't have the Batman movies you have now without it. I think, mm. uh, at least not the way they are. But I mean, we look at what we've got now, like Avengers Endgame. Um, for as much as I hate the movie, Batman v Superman, um, you know what it what it looks like and all that. And then you go back to that one, you're like, oh, oh yeah, Mike, not I'm, not as good. Mike, I'm not still, as good. Well, I'm still waiting for a Batman as the world's greatest detective movie. So you know, hey, <laughs> I, mean, I mean that. And honestly, the sad thing is, Batman '89 is probably the closest thing we've gotten to Batman as a good detective, and is in that. 
he can find out if you mix two things together, it makes Joker uh, the yeah, Joker. Yeah, right. The, 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 my, my the dream, best Batman detective we've gotten is Batman Forever, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I mean my, my dream my dream Batman movie is, no, is a noir style detective movie. That would be fantastic. I mean, I think I think at least among the Geek Salad crew, the the consensus is that Batman Returns is a way better movie than. Uh, I still disagree, actually. I, I still do. Batman 1989. <laughs> no, it's it's still fun. I mean, that's that's the thing with this movie is that if if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have a lot of. We really wouldn't have a lot of the geek culture that we have now because you know. You're going. In, you're ushering into the '90s, and you know we didn't have Star Wars throughout pretty much most of the '90s, or almost all the '90s. Well, it's um, well, it, it's funny when when you think about it. Batman '89 kind of you say it kind of ushered in a lot of the geek culture. It also ushered in a lot of the stuff we hate about geek culture, like the infighting yep. and shit that we do. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, Mike. Uh, I mean, Andy. Catherine and I are old enough to remember when when Michael Keaton was cast as Batman. Oh gosh. The entire collective geekdom lost their shit over it. Thank this God the internet didn't exist back then. <laughs> I wouldn't be alive today if the internet existed when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean like you all used to play that game where people die from a disease or something? Oregon Trail. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that nope. on the internet? You, you died of dysentery. You, Every you single threw, damn time. You threw in the floppy disk. Um, <laughs> only floppy. took people in your class that you didn't like and you announced to them when they died because you didn't help them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I mean, like, kind of going I, back, going off about like, Batman 89 and all that, it's like, uh, Catherine mentioned it earlier, um, you know, Superman the motion picture, the original one. If you go back to that, yeah, it's a little dated, but it's still a very effective movie, and it it's it doesn't it's not as dated as Batman '89 is, which was made 11 years later. Yeah, yeah. It, well, the thing is, one of the things is that Chris, Christopher Reeve is just he does the 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 Boy Scout Superman that we grew up with. Yeah. And he does it honestly and well. He's earnest about it, yeah. Yeah. He's he's honest with it, but also, just as importantly, the people writing and directing the film are honest about it. Yeah. Because yeah, Henry Cavill is absolutely trying his hardest to be, be honest about it, but he's working with people like Zack Snyder who think that having Batman raped in prison would be a great idea for a movie. Um, yeah. And true. just crazy stuff like that where it's clear they don't have the best interest of the characters at heart. Um, the thing... I'm Tom says real quick, I mean, if Henry Cavill had writers who knew what Superman was about and... I mean, oh my God, Henry Cavill would be the near perfect Superman. In that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No question. I kind of feel like Nick just had a question that was like, "Wait a second, somebody thought that uh, that Batman should be raped in prison." (laughs) No, I did say that when he was when he was mentioning it. I was like, "Whoa!" I thought it was bad in Batman versus Superman or Justice League or whichever one it was when Superman walked in and like 
I banged him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zack Snyder said that, I think, in an interview during Watchmen. Yeah. And then Goyer, who wrote Batman v Superman at some point years before, had said, you only do Batman v Superman when you have no, no better ideas to do. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's literally the whole explanation to why that movie's at the quality that it is. But I was going yeah. regarding Batman 1989, that was Tim Burton, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know, like, I know that you said, I don't know what it is, it might be my nostalgia or whatever, but, like, I think it looks bad because it's supposed to, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like Tim Burton does. It very much has that, that, that you see in Beetlejuice and everything mm-hmm. else that you see I think it's Gothic. just like that style applied to the wrong genre, if that right. makes sense. You know, so it makes it look terrible. But, I, you know, when I think of my Batman, I definitely think of Michael Keaton. And when I think of the first time I ever loved a villain, it was Jack Nicholson as the yeah. Joker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, the other thing I would always say is, like you, ha- like, you have to remember when you're talking about you know, Christopher Reeve Superman or Michael Keaton Batman, when when they came on to play those characters, it was at a time period where people, it wasn't, you know, everything about these characters wasn't common knowledge. Uh-huh. So yeah, right. there is sort of that existence. So you get things like, yes, Superman as a whole is a decent movie, but that Superman movie takes so fucking long to yeah. start in any way, shape, or form, because they're sitting there going, okay, we're going to give everyone literally the entire history. And then the Batman movie decided, okay, we're going to give them some of the important bits, and we're going to change it up a little bit just to help tie it into this movie so we can, so that way we can just get going. Yeah. You don't see, you don't see Clark turn into Superman until like almost an hour into the movie. Right. He doesn't leave Smallville until 45 minutes into the movie, if I remember correctly. Right. Hmm. Yeah, we well, I mean, you also spend the first half hour on Krypton. Jesus, and yeah. people complain about Godzilla 2014. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing, though, about 80, Batman 89 that is just, it's really interesting, because, you know, we talk about all like, the different ways of how it's pioneered a lot of stuff, and really how it kind of was the real big break it break for Tim Burton. You know, he'd had other movies yeah. that come out prior that got him the job, but what's weird about Batman 89 is is like it's not enough of a Tim Burton movie. It's like you can tell where the influences are there outside of the Danny Elfman score. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you get to Batman Returns is like it's it looks like it just came out of a out of his sketchbook. Yeah. <laughs> The way yep. that the penguin is, is created is out of that sketchbook. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird movie to watch because I've tried watching it with my kids. My kids love superhero movies, but they're both like, <laughs> I, 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 always, I always say that um, Batman 89 is a Batman movie directed by Tim Burton, and Batman Returns is a Tim Burton movie with Batman in it. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Great way yeah. to put that. Um, yeah. Yeah, makes a way more sense. Now, I will have to say, as the unpopular opinion on this, to me, I, I have to disagree in the fact that Batman, the both Tim Burton Batman movies, to me, are far superior 
to the Chris Nolan movies. Um, yeah, I can't disagree. I can't agree with that one. Yeah, for me, like first of all, Michael Keaton has charm and likability. Christian Bale has <laughs> literally none in all three of those movies. That's fair. That's I fair. sit there like they. Like, for me, superhero movies are as good as the alter ego. Christopher Reeves proved that. Chris Nolan and Christian Bale put zero time, effort, or consideration into Bruce Wayne. It was all about Batman. Right. And and the other thing for me is, like, you... So you've got this more likable, more charismatic person playing Batman, but on top of that, it embraces the camp. It embraces the the unrealistic. Whereas the Chris Nolan movies try to be above it, but yeah, then inevitably it. have to use it, and uh, then Tom, it doesn't make sense. Tom, yeah, they, you know what? You know what else embraced the camp? Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Uh, they were. They didn't embrace it. They were consumed oh. by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that is absolutely. They, they went, they went back to Adam West too hard, whereas because Tim Burton had like the whole goth thing going, he's like, yeah. I can be funny but also dark. Whereas uh, Batman Forever and, and the rest was just like, you guys like the funny parts? Let's do the funny parts. Let's go back to Adam West <laughs> running around with a bomb, going, there's nowhere to get rid of a bomb anymore. Yeah. Well, and I, I. I still remember Chris Nolan. I can't remember which one of the, um, I can't remember after the first or second Batman they made. I can't remember, but he, he flat out was like, I would never use a character like the penguin or, and he listed a couple others. He was like, they're just too ridiculous. They're too ridiculous. There's nothing believable about them. It's like, You've got a dude flying, literally flying around as a bat. You can't sit here and pretend the characters are too ridiculous for your movie. Yeah. Yeah. Batman's a furry with daddy, mommy, and daddy issues, okay? Yeah. yeah. It, so for me, it's just, it's so much fun to watch. Like, the, the 89 Batman and then Batman Returns, I have fun when I'm watching them. Whereas well, Batman, Batman like Begins... It. I sat there laughing at the movie and then dark night. I walked out of the theater before it was over. You know, I'm, I'm not, it just, yeah, I'm not saying Batman 89 isn't a fun movie. I'm just saying it's a dated movie. It, it is more dated than like, um, Batman, uh, Superman, the motion picture, which came out 11 years before. So that says a lot right there. Right. Now, Mike, here's a question for you. How do you feel about the original X-Men? the 2000 X-Men compared to everything that came after that. Uh, I, I feel it was, I feel it is a good prologue to X2. It, I don't think, I don't feel like the original X-Men is a full movie in itself. It's more of a setup to X2. Than gotcha. Anything. I can, I can buy that. I, yeah, I, I have a weird relationship with the first X-Men movie, because I can't say I hate it, but I certainly can't say that I like it. Yeah. I, That's why I say it's a ha- kind of a half a movie. It's it, it serves its purpose, which is to get us to X2. Yeah. Um, And then, unfortunately, X2 served the purpose of getting us to X3, and fuck that movie, so. Big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> X2. Hey, X3. 
I feel bad for X-Men The Last Stand, because it's kind of like the kid that got dropped off for the soccer game, and <laughs> and and the and the parent just drove off abruptly with all their equipment. Not realizing... And not everyone realizing still expected them to play the game. Yeah, not like, really. that is X-Men The Last Stand to me. Yeah. yeah. Both, like, both times that the movies have tried to do the Dark Phoenix saga, it's like, you didn't set it up right. You didn't set it up right. X, X-Men The Last Stand was screwed over the second someone, the second Brian Singer and the executives at 20th Century Fox said, we don't know anything about X-Men. Tell us their superpowers. We'll pick the ones that we think are the coolest powers. Yeah. And when that was how they made their lineup of heroes and villains, that was when we were completely screwed for the. No, yeah. X Men. X Men: The Last Stand um, failed the moment someone said, "Brett Ratner, you're hired." Yeah. Oh. That was that. Well, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. 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 The best description of Brett Ratner I ever I ever heard was director Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, oh. there are several other words you can use for Bert Ratner. None of them pro- are um, pro- progressive. Oh. Hey, Brett, who's do, who's Brett, doing dishes in the background? That's me. Sorry. Oh God. <laughs> I hear you shuffling plates around. I, I will say Brett Ratner is a fantastic director of the incredible blooper reel on the Rush Hour movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost the only thing you can get right. Yeah. I didn't mind Red Dragon. I will say that. So. Just don't well, look him. Look, don't look him up as a person. No. Because he's yeah. not a good. Nope. No. So, do we have anything else to say about Batman '89 before we uh, we wrap this up? No, I think we we've, we've talked about it and yeah we. I, I've made my opinions known about it multiple times. I'm good. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I don't know about you. I'm ready to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. So let's <laughs> always. Yeah, that, was like, that was one of the biggest quotes my senior year of high school, like that showed up in the uh, the yearbook. Yeah. Yep. Uh, again, the same meatheads that are supposed to uh, protect me from the Russian army. <laughs> if you've got a superhero in a mask, make sure he can turn his head. <laughs> I, I, I promise to never about w- lie about my weight to Michael Keaton. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, is Nick? Nick, are you back? I'm here, but I awesome. have to go mute because someone's going to try to say hi in a second. <laughs> oh, it's. Hi. I'm sure it'll be adorable. So <laughs> podcast debut. Yeah. What does what does she think hasn't aged well? She said Batman did. It's fine. Batman did. It's fine. Okay, awesome. Um, I guess I'm wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Way to go, Mike. Got turned down. So, guys, I have to thank you so much for coming tonight. This was a phenomenal 200th episode. Andy, before before you can begin, I have to ask a question. Are you going to thank everybody again and again and again for about 15 minutes now? Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. Good. Just got a couple of names to throw out there. Great. Um, you know, first of all, Nick and Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for being part of the kind of part of the family in the last year. It's been really great having you on our YouTube channel. And for you guys to join us today, it was a real honor for you guys to come. Thank you so much. Yes. We're yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, thank I you guys really again. enjoy 
being uh, on anything with you guys and even just talking to you guys on Twitter and everything else. Like, you're great. And congratulations on 200 episodes. Thank like, you. Y'all bomb. I think, I think yeah. Nick and I came up with this amazing uh, pitch for uh, Paw Patrol today. Where yes. uh, all we want to see is the town, the, the town planning meeting, where um, he's trying to pitch his dog army, and please give me all the budget. And then I had to ask how many dogs had to die before they figured out one that could uh, fly a helicopter. <laughs> Far too many. Far how too many different many. types of dogs did they try before they found the type of dog that would it, work better? It has to be a Dalmatian say, that drives the fire truck. It was probably about 15 Dalmatians because people love them, but they're not the brightest dogs. No, they're not. <laughs> as, as long as I get to see one Chihuahua crash a helicopter, I'm happy. German Shepherds cannot fly helicopters, I'm telling you. Oh. Well, but you, that... need just, you need to do it on simulation software first. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I put it on simulation software, therefore you save on the helicopter, and you save on the dog. Well, that's... That's that kid's mistake then. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, 200 episodes. Thank you so much. Thanks to M for uh, sitting down to speak with me for a little bit. Uh, thanks to everybody else who's been a great promoter of our show. Chinlin, thank you so much. Um, Rob Glazer from Altered Universe, thanks for having me on your show to promote Geek Salad as well. And then now we got to do the roll call here. i got to thank Todd for joining us and being such a great voice. To this show thank in the you. Last couple thank of years. you for having me. Thank I appreciate you. You guys have me. a phenomenal voice. Why, uh, thank yeah. you. I appreciate that very much. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, you made it to 100 episodes. Nearly. Almost. You know, give or take. We'll, we'll round up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Joe. Joe's kind of old hat now, so he's all he's all good. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, and Mike, thank I, you. Thank you well, for being, thank you for being my partner in this whole crazy thing. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm losing my voice because I screamed into that pillow during the Doctor Who talk, so, uh. uh that's a I, problem. Seriously, I am, I am stone sober. I've only had, like, two beers, and I'm stone sober. So. <laughs> Most importantly, and, let us thank our listeners for continuing to listen to us for I'm 200 episodes. To that. I was getting that. Thank you for sticking with us, everybody. We've had. We had a great time, um, especially in the last couple of years. This show has really taken off, and we really appreciate all the support from anybody who's listened to us. Um, so if you want to thank our amazing guests, please listen to them, uh, Black Girls Do Stuff Too, and Movies After Work, wherever you get your podcasts. We were on a podcast with Tom a few uh, about a month ago, and he's like, I don't know why I bother saying where you can find us. You're listening to us right now. <laughs> so if you found our podcast just go search for theirs chances are they're in the same app um you can also uh nick where where are you on the socials we are be okay girls do stuff on twitter where we're most active and black girls do stuff too everywhere else awesome and tom uh you can find us at movies work uh, it's usually me on there ranting and raving <laughs> it's very entertaining. <laughs> Thank yes. you. It's a good. It really is a good follow, and I love when you do. You got to do more polls for your movies because 
Yeah, that yeah, was amazing. That, that was yeah, that was literally a mixture of us not wanting to and us not sure if we should that led us to doing a poll on Joker. <laughs> and you oh, can yeah, follow. Uh, yeah. Uh, one more thing. I think we should all thank you as well, Andy, for uh, leading the way for 200 episodes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yes, you. I'm right. amazed. My, yeah. I'm amazed my voice is held up. Th- yes. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being so amenable. Thanks for thanks for being a team. I, re- I, I mean that. I really do. Thank you so much for being a team. Uh, so before I start crying, let me just go over where you can find <laughs> us on the socials. Geeks at Geek Salad Radio on Twitter, where we are most active. We are on Facebook at Geek Salad Podcast. On YouTube, where you can find our archived um, movie reviews with Nick and Tom and mm. me and and Todd and Mike. Um, we're right right now. We're wrapping up the Mandalorian, which by the time this is over, we'll have wrapped up the Mandalorian. Yeah. And uh, yes, and you can go shop our wares at T Public uh, keyword. Geek Salad Podcast. At some point, I will put some new merch on there. I'm sorry I've been busy. Um, so, until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. I'm Todd. Go forth and be nerdful. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Woo! Oh, we got a good one. Okay. We wait until Murph is asleep, right? I like what this is going. And we suck his dick like that ghost in Ghostbusters. His eyes will cross and they'll be like, oh, I didn't consent to this. <laughs> We're not doing any ideas where we suck Murph's dick. Whoa. Dude, don't be so homophobic, okay? Don't be homophobic.